Greetings, Y Chromo boys. This is Killstreak, <laughs> episode 55. Killstreak, of course, brought to you by TugTruck.com. Get in the back, city boy. Let me give you a hand with that. That's TugTruck.com. <laughs> All right. With that out of the yeah. way, we are the Ghoulie Brothers, the click and clack of hash and slack. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Hash and slack? <laughs> Slash and hack. We, oh man, we love we love concentrated <laughs> marijuana and work chat apps. Oh, I am Dick Gooley, joined by Mick Gooley, aka Eric Oslin, and Mike Price. How you doing, Mike? Good. There's nothing better than getting stoned out of your mind and then having to, <laughs> having uh, to... DM with your boss <laughs> after work hours. Oh wow. Man, yeah, we finally got that second sponsor, though. Yeah, huh? thank, big thanks to Tug Truck. Uh, if you haven't heard there, our episode on aliens, you should give that a listen. Find out what we're talking about. Um, so, of course, we are here today to talk about Aliens 3. And mm. uh, just a word of warning, um, I took my notes based off of the extended cut, a.k.a. the assembly cut, but I think they call it the extended yeah. cut on HBO Max. So if you want to check that out, go for it. If you don't and you just want to hear it, go for that. Um, I actually got, I did see a message from somebody who says they normally don't um, watch the movies. They enjoy the uh-huh. recaps. But in, in the case of the Aliens franchise, they're too good. So they want yeah. to check them out before our shows. Um, I did watch stuff. about 40 minutes of the theatrical cut last night after I finished okay. the uh, extended cut. Because mm-hmm. I just wanted to get a sense of... Sure. What it was about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, perhaps before we dive straight into a blood and guts check. Yeah. Could be an interesting place to start to just talk about these two cuts. Um, because that's also going to dictate a lot of what we talk about today. It, right? it really is. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think we'd have different blood and guts check takes for the two different movies. Although I will say... Spoiler, I was moved off of my original position a little bit, but I wouldn't say substantially by watching the assembly cut instead of the theatrical. Okay, is this the first time you've watched the assembly cut? Uh, No, but the last time I watched it, I don't think I was doing it with any sort of an eye for evaluation. Like yeah, that, that, uh, that always makes such a big difference, especially yeah. for me in terms of runtime. Where yeah. it's like, I'm taking notes. It takes a little bit long. I, I, I'm i sorry. If I, I've complained about this in the past. It's not really a complaint. I love doing this podcast. But the, the assembly cut is two and a half hours long. And it usually <laughs> takes me at least 30 more minutes longer than the runtime to, to take notes. Because I'll pause it and rewind it and, and shit. Um, so there was a point where I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. a lot's happened. An hour and a half yeah. has passed. There's still an hour, you know, an hour left. Yeah. And yeah, so I I don't know where I was going with that. Kind of lost my my train of thought there, but uh, it, it's a long one. Well, it is, and I I mean I'll just say that like I know there there isn't one right answer on this. It's very subjective, and I'll say that you know different movies can get away with different runtimes. Mm-hmm. However, I'm of the mind that generally speaking, if you are exceeding two hours in runtime for a movie, then I think the onus is on you as filmmakers and on the movie to make it feel like it's not that long. Yes. Because yeah. 
because I think anything beyond two hours is excessive. I mean, you're just starting to move into a territory where you're making a bigger ask in terms of attention. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm, I can hear the voices of, you know, uh, fans out there and trolls crowing about how it's like, Oh, you, you know, no attention span, blah, blah. It's like, Hey, you know what? Uh, you can call me a bitch if you want to. Uh, I, someone has done that before (laughs) (laughs) for literally for expressing this belief that two hours, two hours should be, uh, sort of acknowledged as like a, uh, not a firm, like a soft cap for the length of a movie. It's like, you have to justify going beyond. I agree. I totally agree. I especially agree now that I have, that I've been stuck inside with my child for a year um, mm-hmm. and I'm fucking tired. <laughs> I'm really like it's just emotionally <laughs> yeah. drained. And so when I sit right. down to watch a movie, it's got to be, if it's over two hours, it's got to really justify that for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And I think that um, there are the occasional movies that, you know, can can break that barrier and they don't feel like it. And you, you say, oh, man, I can't believe it's over already. Um, but I think they're few and far between. I think that's the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. I would say Aliens is a movie that sings, even though it's like over. It's like maybe two two seventeen or something like that. I'll say that. Yeah, I agree with that. Although you know, you can sort of see the difference. Like we uh, we were talking about this. I watched that uh, director's cut of Aliens last last week, and it felt too long to me. I really yeah. was like, you know what? Cameron got away with two seventeen. Two thirty four is too much. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that let's. This is probably biting on your uh, usual like history of the movie a little uh-huh. bit, but I do want to talk about the two different versions. In that, uh, there's the theatrical cut, which is uh, like an hour, an hour fifty five minutes or so, mm-hmm. and then the extended is like an hour and a, two hour and a half hours approximately. Yeah, um, and essentially the cut was taken away from Fincher. It was his first time directing a feature. Mm-hmm. Um, this. This movie is such a goddamn mess. It's a mess. Yeah. Like from all everything I've read about it, which I did do some reading about it after it was sounds like a nightmare to work on, especially for Mm -hmm. Fincher. And then, I mean, you know, we kind of sympathize for Fincher for what he's become. But from a producer standpoint, this also seems like a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Like this, if... I don't know that any movie has ever deserved more of a look behind the scenes at its as its conception and production that we've covered than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that there ahead. was a documentary about the making of, which I'm interested to check out. Yeah, yeah. So there is there are a number of behind the scenes making of documentaries for this series, and there is one for Alien Three. Although famously. Um, a lot of uh, supposedly a lot of the juiciest scenes were removed uh, by the production company <laughs> by 20th Century oh, Fox. Oh, really? Because, Just like, no, you can't show that. Yeah, I think a lot of the original documentary had David Fincher talking about how fucking insane the circumstances on this production were. Oh, man. Uh, and they like censored that stuff out. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. There needs to be um, a book written about this, I think. Yeah. I mean, this does feel like one of those movies that deserves its own movie. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, what's the, um, Island of Dr. Moreau one. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never seen that. I want to see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. I've heard it's good. Um, but yeah, there's enough here. It sounds like that you could tell a very compelling, 
90 minute to two hour yes. story <laughs> so, about how this movie came together. So that yeah. brings me kind of back to where I was going originally, which mm. is uh, the Fincher. I mean, sorry, the assembly cut is supposed to be closer to Fincher's vision for the movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that there is a be- a much better movie that is a synthesis of the two. That's like 210. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I, I think I agree with you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's one the the piece of the puzzle that they took out for the theatrical cut and put back in for the extended version essentially revolves around the character Gallic mm-hmm. and a big uh, end of the second act, beginning of the third act plot point, which we'll get to. And cool. Yeah, I didn't. Sorry, I, did, I didn't make yeah. it that far in the in my like. Mm-hmm. you know, second viewing of the night. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be curious about where that goes. Cause I saw, you know, I watched the uh, first 40 minutes and that is also drastically different. They added about 15 minutes yeah. or so to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. not a lot of like plot wise that is additive mm-hmm. other than instead of an ox, instead of a dog in the Fincher cut, it's an ox. Right. Um, but it was all stuff that I really appreciated in the extended cut. Yeah, I mean, I think the extended cut is a, I mean, it 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 is a more multifaceted. Uh, it's just a deeper movie. Yeah. Um, but it does suffer from being overly long. I think. Yeah. Um, I think both those things are true at the same time. I agree. Um, you know, and and I do like I, I shared the same feelings you had where I was like, oh yeah, hour fifty five, cool, let's bang this out, and then I flipped over to the assembly cut and I was like, fuck. An extra half an hour. Like I was excited to watch a sub two hour movie and then I got yeah. and then I got uh sort of the wind taken out of my sails. So it was funny watching the first forty minutes of the of theatrical mm-hmm. cut, which <clears throat> I had seen I'd seen Alien Three once. <clears throat> it was when I was like in a cabin with my friends and my dad, like ice fishing, and it was just uh, one of the VHS tapes that was there. <laughs> so we sure. watched it. And I remember liking it. Mm-hmm. Um and then, uh, so this time around, I didn't remember much other than some like pretty key scenes, like the, you know, the yeah. ending, although it's different in this w- version. And I had to like, look up like, oh yeah, that is, I'm not crazy for remembering it the other way. <laughs> there was a lot of that, like uh-huh. with the ox, I'm like, I remember that being a dog, but maybe I'm right. misremembering. Uh, so one of the things I noticed when I was watching the theatrical cut, which is, is that it's cut too fast. There's like lines of dialogue that yeah. are like almost on top of each other. Well, they were so desperate to get this thing under two hours. Yeah. Uh, and you can I tell. Mean, it's they, just, they really just, yeah, push, push, push. The information yeah. doesn't land um, right. because they're talking too fast. And then my understanding towards the end of the movie, there's a lot of like connective shots, which you can kind of mm-hmm. tell when you're watching the assembly cut. There is a uh, a different quality to the audio and to some of the, yeah. some of the picture that's just not fully like mastered in the way that the theatrical mm-hmm. cut is. And so you can tell, which is interesting because yeah. you can see like, Oh, that's not there. And then, then you can yeah. see like the cut that they come back on. And maybe it's not in that same order exactly, but uh, sure. My understanding is that a lot of the, just like the spatially explaining where everybody is, was cut from yeah. the final act of the movie. Yeah. Cause I mean, my recollection, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's been a few years now since I've seen the theatrical version. I have seen this movie a number of times, so I was pretty comfortable saying, you know, hey, I know that I I know what the original version looks like. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that end sequence, the climactic sort of chase, essentially, with the xenomorph, it is sort of like without geographic, uh, it's just sort of lost. There's no compass in the theatrical version of the movie. It's just, it's just sort of our, you know, it's just sort of a catch-all people running through pipes mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, vents or what, whatever you want to call them being chased by an alien. Um which, you know, works to a certain degree, but it's not, I think, in keeping with, like, the level of detail that they... At least you can tell that Fincher and the writer, the writers of this particular version of the script were going for, mm-hmm. you know, I think what they wanted to capture. And I think it does work better in, in the uh, extended cut. Um, so I would say that that is one of the pieces of the movie that benefits the most from the added information. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into our blood and guts check. Um, okay. So as you said, this is a movie mm-hmm. you've seen several times, which frankly yes. is surprising to me. Um, mm-hmm. why, why is this one of your movies that you keep coming back to? Well, I think, uh, I mean, the first reason is probably an issue of timing, right? Like I, um, this is the first alien movie that I saw new ish right i didn't see it in the theater yeah it's a little bit too young for that um but by the time like this is the first one i remember existing like in the public consciousness right i was old enough to be aware of the the trailer and of the commercials right yeah and there were some big tie-ins and stuff i mean that's something that josh stewart pointed out a couple weeks back mm-hmm. i think when we were talking about aliens they were talking about alien mm-hmm. i think right I, or was that a different franchise so, uh, i don't but remember it was dracula you know what it was, josh was, was actually it was, talking it about it was like yeah burger king like dracula yeah. cups or something like that. Yeah. yeah josh was talking about bram stoker's dracula but the same thing is true of the alien movies these are r-rated movies that had like fast food franchise tie-ins. And yeah. That sort and of like stuff, action right? figures. I remember that I said mm-hmm. this before the action figures were so cool. And I looked them up yeah. to see if I could find like They're the Ken, uh-huh. specifically the Kenner ones are the ones I'm thinking of. And there's okay. like an exploding alien. There's like a queen alien. Yeah. It's they're, they're fucking rad. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this was a big, big release, right? The first two movies were so popular. They made so much money. So this, was an incredibly anticipated movie. And I remember when it came out and I had to wait a little while to see it on VHS. But I mean, I think I did see it pretty soon thereafter, like as if as a nine or 10 year old, because mm-hmm. I had, I had seen uh, at, at the other alien movies by that point. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's also just something that I would maybe, you know, I should say I haven't seen, I think something I want to clarify is I haven't seen this more than alien or aliens. I just have seen it. Right. Many times, right. right? I've seen it four or five, maybe six times now. Um, wow. Because it's because, and I think part of the reason is because it's an interesting movie. It right? is. I don't. I, I mean, you know, okay, cat out of the bag here. I I don't think it's a big success, but it's really really different, and I think it, it's worth talking about. I have more thoughts. And much more to say about this movie than I do about either of the previous two, which I think are, you know, yeah, better movies. I'm kind of, I'm kind of there with you. Um, I do think, like you know, we've talked about Nathan Rabin's, uh, like yeah. you know, what is the My Year of Flops? My or, World, yeah, became My World of Flops after it extended. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want to get into our, you know, final rankings, but I do think mm-hmm. there is an interesting 
there's enough interesting things going on in this movie that is it makes it worth a watch. Um, yeah. I can understand why critics didn't like it, especially coming off of like the one-two punch of Alien mm-hmm. and Aliens being so fucking iconic and great. Right. And pretty much universally lauded, I, was, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. Of course, now they are. But um, And then this one being like sort of a a lead balloon in a way it's it's like a very leaden dark yeah grimy depressing nihilistic movie uh right so i but i think there is there there's there's something there like obviously it's made by fincher he's never he's never Mm -hmm. he's made some movies i don't like but i don't think he's ever made a bad movie well i think yeah and i think that also in fairness to david fincher to call this his movie, I think, is is not entirely accurate. Yeah. Um, he would not. I mean, he has, for all intents and purposes, disowned it. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think the circumstances he was under, which I will get into shortly, and I'm sure and you, you probably know some of this, too, so we can talk about this both. But I mean, this is not a movie that just knowing the whole story of how it came together I wouldn't expect it to bear the trademarks of a David Fincher film. Yeah. And it doesn't in a lot of ways. In some ways it does, but it doesn't really feel like a true Fincher movie. And there's good reason for that. Yeah. This, uh, if they could just remake sequels, this would be a good candidate for a remake. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that actually, I, um, I noticed just poking around that Mm -hmm. the, the sci-fi author William Gibson did a, yeah. a version uh, which got published into a graphic novel by Dark Horse Comics, which owned the the rights to Alien, a mm-hmm. ton of Alien comics, um, which I might start checking out. Uh, I couldn't find like a, an affordable version of that. I would like to, but I saw that mm-hmm. coming this August, William Gibson and another author they they made a novel out of his unproduced alien three screenplay so i'm very curious Mm -hmm. i I might read that well so there's also i thought this is where you were going but two years ago uh audible as an original uh like reading Mm. uh actually published an audio drama adaptation of his unproduced script for this movie. oh i got like 11 audio credits built uh, building up i should just get that it's supposed to be very good, and it does star Michael Bean and Lance Henriksen oh, nice. as their characters. Because this is a version of the script where uh, Corporal Hicks uh, and Newt both survive. Let's get into that briefly. Um, Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't mean to jump around. No, Because it is a fucking bummer that everybody except for Ripley from Aliens dies at the in the opening. Yes. It's a yeah. true bummer. It is. Well, you said this is a, a nihilistic movie and it is punishingly dark. And I think that's and that's how that sets the tone for the whole movie. And I will yeah. I will say this. James Cameron is on record famously as being upset by that choice mm-hmm. um, and basically saying that it's sort of like a slap in the face to all the fans of Aliens where it's just like and I'll be honest, I agree with him I do because too. because the whole like the biggest, most central theme and like the and the conclusion and, and everything that you that is like won and hard fought for in aliens 
is immediately <laughs> discarded yeah. to start this movie. It really, you know, it smacks of, you know, we do this podcast about horror movie sequels. It just seems like a sequel that was lower, but this choice, I'm just not saying mm-hmm. this, this is like something you would see in like a Friday the 13th part two, where the main character is just killed off the, in the opening scene because they can't afford her anymore. So, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. just seems that it's like, I don't know. I agree. I agree with Cameron on this one. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it really does make, I mean, this whole movie is depressing as fuck. It is. And that really just gets you off on that foot, I think. Um, yeah, now, gets you I off don't on have... that foot. <laughs> Brought to you by TugTruck.com. <laughs> Put your foot on the gas. Um, uh, anyways, yeah, just connect the dots. I don't know. I think that sort of works as a sexual ent- uh, um, double entendre. But... Um, <laughs> No, so I was going to say um, one of the most shocking pieces of information about this movie, and I think we can launch into talking officially about how it came together with, with this trivia fact. At the time of its release, 20th Century Fox had spent $13 million exclusively paying writers for the script and had 10 different writers contributing at different points in time. Holy shit. There are at least publicly known five different, completely different scripts for Alien 3. Wow. And then another, and, and so that's, you know, one, two, two of those scripts have two writers on them. The final script was the one that was written by Walter Hill and David Geiler. Um, but even that one, Fincher worked on as well, and he also brought in somebody else, an author uh, that he wanted to work with, helped him revise that also. But it's like, this went through so many goddamn versions, it's crazy. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm sure this has happened with other movies, but I don't think I've ever heard anything quite that uh, over the top. No. That there were five completely different versions of this script. It reminds me a bit uh, of Freddy versus Jason, like that. That yeah, whole like, yeah. There was a bunch of versions of that. Uh, I, I one of the things I read was like one of the scripts had instead of a prison planet, it's like a a monk, a planet made of wood. Yeah, outside of uh, outside of Gibson's, I think that's considered to be the most famous one, uh, and that is the one written by Vincent Ward and John Fasano. Ward was the guy who actually Fincher ended up replacing. Okay. Um, he was the original director and I don't think he had ever started rolling, but they had been well into pre-production on the movie with Ward. So yeah, that's, that's his script. And yeah, it's like a, an all male colony of monks that are Luddites. So they have no modern technology. So yeah, it's like everything is wood basically. Hmm. Um, which sounds really interesting. Yeah, it does sound interesting. It, it definitely to read about that script, you can see how a lot of the themes were they at least attempted to translate into what Alien Three ultimately became. Yeah, um, a lot of that is the religious themes that are much more prevalent in the extended edition than they are in the theatrical. Yeah. Which you probably caught that just by watching the first. Four yes, minutes, I did. I yeah, imagine. a lot of like yeah. Charles Dutton's prayers were mm-hmm. cut. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think all of that with the monks, there was this idea of Ripley as being like a temptation, you know, not having, like having a woman around would be 
bad news bears. And I think that's something worth saying too, uh, that um, as we, as we talk about the plot for anybody who feels sensitive about that stuff, there is an attempted and averted rape scene in this movie. Yeah. Um, There's also just a lot of intense, uh, (laughs) well, I don't even know what to call it. It's just sort of like, I mean, at least it's not a movie that endorses these things, but it is a movie that really paints a picture of a very hostile environment for a woman. Yeah, I mean, essentially the the prison is 25 convicted convicts who are murderers, Mm -hmm. rapists, child molesters. They're all yeah. They suffer from a mutation called Y chroma double Y chromosome. They call them Y chromo boys. <laughs> Hence my wait. Opening. I don't double Y. Is that real? I thought it was just they were Y chromos because only men carry the Y chromosome. No, it's double Y. Yeah, it's it's, really? it's even in like the opening text of like the planet, like double Y chromo. Unless I, yeah. I, mean, I wrote it down, so maybe I'm incorrect, and we'll find out in the next segment. No, but. I mean. If that's yeah. true, that's interesting. Uh, and actually makes, I like that idea that if you got an extra Y chromosome, then you'd really just be, be a pure fucking trash. piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But anyways, to give a brief summary of what happened. So we have all these different versions of the script. Um, the producers, Geiler and Hill were also the writers of the final version of the script. Not coincidentally, uh, so these guys at Fox were basically from almost the second that aliens left the box office and, you know, smashed a bunch of records and that sort of stuff. They're like, well, obviously we have to make a third one. Right. Um, and there were some interesting ideas that kind of uh, kicked around. Gibson's script was the first one, and that was pretty much going to sideline Sigourney Weaver, mostly focusing on Bean's Corporal Hicks. Mm. Um and Bean and uh, Hicks and Newt were both going to survive um, in and Ripley as well. And basically um, the whole idea was that uh, it was kind of a Cold War metaphor, which was going to be sort of interesting where it was there were going to be a bunch of aliens that were being a, like deliberately produced by an off-world group of military socialists. Oh, wow. Um, and they were going to try to invade Earth more or less. Um, And I don't know if you saw this, but you can go on YouTube and you can see there was a teaser trailer. I want to say it came out in 91. Um, And it is for this movie. And all it is, is basically the, you know, the alien egg that is pretty famous from the, the posters of the first two. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you, so you see this egg and then you see it start to split open and the very famous alien text from the very beginning of the first movie, that really cool title sequence. Mm-hmm. And then it, you're constantly sort of zooming, zooming, zooming out. And then you finally see that that the the egg is hovering in space above Earth. And the tagline of the of the teaser is, you know, in 1979, you learned that in space, no one can hear you scream. And then it was like something like on earth they can, you know, I remember this. Yeah. I think, was it on TV or like maybe? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think it was all over the place. It probably played burnt. I'm guessing it certainly was in front of some movies. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it played, you know, during a super bowl or something. Yeah. I remember that as you were describing it, like I could, I could visualize it. Yeah. So, so not they were so uh, convinced that this movie was going to bring aliens to Earth, which honestly seems like a pretty logical heightening of the premise. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, and I mean, that's essentially kind of where it feels like it would go um, that they made this teaser. But, uh, you know, that obviously didn't come to pass. There were issues with the scripts, with budget. They wanted to get Ridley Scott back. Um, then for a while they were talking about doing two movies. They were doing three and four and they were going to try to shoot them back to back to like help with the production costs, which is something that we saw uh, that had happened a few years prior with Back to the Future, right? That was one of the things that they, I think, kind of popularized Yeah, was shooting Back to the Future 2 and 3 um, concurrently, not concurrently, but basically consecutively, um, you know, so that they could retain all the actors and the crew and that sort of right. stuff, right? So anyways, uh, things didn't work out. And for the next three to four years, uh, the movie bounced from director attached director to director Rennie Harlan at one point walked out uh on it um at another point uh David Tui was supposed to be the director mm. and he turned in a script um he introduced the idea of a prison colony um which an ore refinery which did you know ultimately stick around right um, then he decided he didn't want to direct. Vincent Ward gets hired to direct. Then Ward ends up writing his own script. Then finally, um, yeah, I want to say in 1990, late 91, maybe early 92, um, Ward's project is, it's actually moving. They're, they're starting to plan sets. They're doing, you know, budgeting and that sort of stuff. Um, and then uh, this is a theme we'll hear repeated many times. In pre-production, 20th Century's Fox basically starts coming in, telling Ward what he can and can't do, interfering creatively. They tried to hire two writers to do a rewrite on his script while he was still supposed to direct his own script. Uh, understandably, he quit. And um, this finally brings in David Fincher, who, for context, was a guy who at the time was a very successful and fairly well-known music video director. Yeah. Right. Uh, anybody who doesn't know, Fincher started out actually at ILM. Um, and one of his very first film jobs, he worked on Return of the Jedi, um, which was funny because I read I, I knew that. But I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, he's older than I thought he was. Um, yeah. Because I, I think I, I don't know about you, but I do think of him still and I probably shouldn't anymore. But as as like a sort of as a generation of more youthful directors. Yeah. I mean, I. It's, his movies seem that way for sure, like Seven and Fight Club and stuff. It, it's, it was yeah. like in this, that '90s indie wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at that point in time, he was—I mean, you know—when he did Fight Club, at least in Seven, he was in his late 30s, uh, approaching 40. Yeah, he's 29 um, when he did this. Yeah, and this was his feature debut. And I mean, this isn't anything that anybody's ever confirmed in an interview, but it seems pretty clear that they brought him in, in essence, because they wanted somebody with no cachet that they could tell what to do and push around. Pretty, right? pretty classic move. A lot, yeah, a lot of like the action guys do that. Like Stallone mm-hmm. will bring in like a green director right. who, that he can essentially just boss around and do what he wants right. to do. A pretty established visual stylist, right? Someone who, who was a very capable cameraman and, uh, you know, director of music videos and commercials but they figured, hey, we can basically just take the reins and make this kid do what we want. But what they did not realize was he was David fucking Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what visually it reminded me a bit of? 
it, which is what? which will bring it full circle of the Ridley Scott 1984 Apple computer commercial. Like there is the Al- movie reminded you the of the movie, that? like kind of some of the look and looks in the movie sort of reminded uh-huh. me of that commercial in a way. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he definitely talks about being inspired by Ridley Scott uh, and the original alien. He, he tells a fun anecdote, but I think Scott was doing interviews for the, the behind the scenes stuff. They were, cause I think at the time they were, um, they were doing some sort of making of, uh, and they were interviewing Scott and the guys met and, you know, I think I forget what the exact story was, but it's basically like, you know, Ridley Scott and David Fincher just spend 10 minutes commiserating about fuck these studio guys and how what a nightmare it is to like make a movie like this. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that Ridley Scott got the benefit of the doubt when he was making Alien in the way that Fincher did not. Yeah. Um, so I, I won't bore you with all the details of it, but essentially what you need to understand about how the movie got made is that Fincher got a week or so of prep time. Jesus. Uh, before he had to be working. And he is someone who is famous for the amount of research and preparation that he does for every single one of his movies. Um, he is a perfectionist. He is famous for this, right? Um, he has taken some flack from a number of actors on his films uh, for the intense amount of takes that he requires. I think most famously the um, the opening scene of The Social Network mm. with Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg. Um, you know, she's she's complained a bit. She's, she still, I think, respects him a lot as a filmmaker and basically was like, no, he's a genius, but... He also made us do 90 takes Jesus of that Christ. scene. And she was, you know, she's like, which is crazy. Um, he has it, you know, he has a, a supposed reasoning for it. He basically talks about this idea of uh, trying to break down the pretense and sort of earnestness of actors' performances to get something more natural, maybe akin to what you would get from a stage actor who's been off book, you know, because they've done the run of a play or a musical a hundred times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the kind of thing that certainly was not going to jive well with the producers of this mo- movie who were basically trying to cut every corner they could to keep this thing on time and under budget. Now, um, do you, what, what was your you know familiarity with the troubled production of this movie coming into watching it this time? Uh, I, I just read a bit about it. Uh, I just I knew just through. Um, just general movie fandom that Fincher had basically disowned it in that it almost mm-hmm. almost sunk his career. But kind of the ins and outs, I I wasn't too familiar with until I started reading a, little, a bit about yeah about the making of, uh, which is like producers kind of being over his shoulder, like, hey, come on, got to move it along. Then like literally on set over his shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like he wanted to do more takes. Like, nope, can't, got to move on. Yeah, that type of shit. Um, um, yeah, there's a there's a somewhat famous uh, story he tells about how they would fax new pages of the script to him for filming the next day. Jesus Christ. Um, so someone at the studio was just writing new new pages for the script and they would send them to them in England and then be like, yeah, you have to shoot that tomorrow, uh, which is something he called insane. And I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that is no way to make a movie. That especially yeah. a sequel to 
two of the greatest movies of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it is, I mean, I think it's a testament to the insane egos of Hollywood producers where you have a movie like Alien and a director like Ridley Scott, right? And so by this point, in 1992, Ridley Scott has followed up Alien with, you know, Blade Runner, right? Yeah. Um, He's made two of the most influential and famous sci-fi movies of all time. James Cameron at this point has, you know, established himself as a massive blockbuster director, but still somehow the producers of the Alien franchise are operating under this assumption that they are the driving creative force right, behind right, yeah. the Alien movies. Especially like James Cameron, who is such a control freak, similarly right. similar to Fincher in that regard, yeah. but like that uh, Aliens is a Fincher, I'm sorry, is a uh, a Cameron movie through and through. Mm-hmm. I would bet any sort of producerial involvement from the studio. I'm not saying like yeah. on the set producers, but from the studio was probably just cameras be like, fuck you. No, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think he benefited a lot from the fact that Gail Ann Hurd, his future wife was one of the producers on the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, who she essentially sold herself on that job like to the studio by being like, I'm one of the only people who you can get who will be able to keep him under control and communicate with him. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously she was right. Um, so to, to kind of wrap all this stuff up, um, you know, the movie, the shoot was an absolute mess. Fincher tried to walk out once or twice, uh, big fights with the studio. At a certain point, they, they hired a, or didn't hire, but they literally like took the senior vice president of Fox and assigned him to the production with the explicit purpose of breaking Fincher and basically just getting him in line. Jesus. Um, which is just a relationship that's totally untenable. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. You know, on a film of any scale, but especially something the, that had this much riding on it. So... Eventually, they shut down filming entirely at Pinewood Studios in, in, in England and moved the production back to Fox in Los Angeles. During that period of time, they had Fincher uh, and the editor make an assembly cut of the film, right? Um, basically to figure out what they still needed to shoot in order to deliver a whole movie. Uh, so apparently it was just an awful, awful process. Um, that the, uh, you know, reshoots got tripled in length because of all of this. The editing took almost a year in total, you know, including all the editing, not just this. Mm. But this stuff is ultimately what led Fincher to to walk. Like, he eventually abandoned the movie. Mm. Um, and it was finished, more or less, by the studio. Um, so... Uh, obviously things that don't really bode well, uh, some funny stuff like they had to bring Sigourney Weaver back and she wouldn't shave her head again unless they paid her another $50,000 because it was in her contract. So instead they spent $20,000 on bald caps oh, wow. for pickup shots. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. 20 grand. Uh, pretty funny. Um, but yeah, anyways, Fincher walks out during during the, the this editing process. But the reason I wanted to bring that up is because that assembly cut that he and Terry Rawlings put together was the foundation for making this cut of the movie that you and I watched. And that's why that extended version is often called the assembly cut. Mm-hmm. Because 
uh, the guy who was the director and producer of like all the behind the scenes uh, and documentary stuff for the Alien Quadrilogy box set, mm-hmm. um, which his name is Charles D. Something or other. His last name is a bit of a mouthful <laughs> for me. Uh, I'll pull it up in a second. But uh, but yeah, anyway, so he Fincher just absolutely refused to have anything else to do with this movie. So he was offered the opportunity years later to do um, a director's cut. And that's why this isn't called the director's cut. It's called the extended edition because, you know, he didn't put a stamp on it. Um, but they put it together with the intention of trying to keep to him as close to that assembly cut that Fincher made as they could. Um so the closest thing they could do to coming up with the director's cut. And that guy's name was Charles D. Lazarica, I want to say, is how it's pronounced. But anyways. Yeah, I was trying to find it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how we ended up with this cut of the movie. And I think that's for better or worse. Because he's talked about how he was, in, in putting this together, he was tempted to make some changes. To make it flow better, to maybe shorten it up a little bit. But he felt like the intention of the project was to to stick to what Fincher had done as Mm. much as he could. Um, And so, uh, you know, while it is not an official Fincher director's cut, he has since expressed that it is, it is his preferred version of this movie that he still pretty much profoundly hates and does not want associated with his, his his name as a director. Like I said, I think there's a third cut in there that really Mm -hmm. makes it better in all ways, because I think the pacing yeah. of the theatrical cut is good, is pretty good. Although it's, you know, like it's I said, better. Th- it's better than the extended version. Yeah, extent- yeah, it, it definitely moves better. But I do think some of the extra information from the extended cut is helpful. Yeah, you know? and I mean, I think it just makes it a more interesting movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of there. There are layers that are lost in the theatrical cut. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and uh, are we going to hear a word about a, our friend's podcast here? Yeah. Why don't we mix things up a little bit this week? You guys have been having to listen to Eric and I <laughs> talk about Anchor, anchor yeah. for uh, a year after this. So, yeah, why don't we, we'll pause for a quick commercial break. You hear about another great podcast out there that fans of us might enjoy. Five bad movies. We live in a world where people can be turned into owls, apparently. Apparently. I know this is shocking. Three role-playing gamers. He whips out a Bunsen burner, lights it up, and uses it like a torch to torch the ghosts. He's gonna torch ghosts. We're torching ghosts. Holy shit. One bizarre podcast. Should we try to dissuade these gentlemen or just go straight to murder? We do the old murder talk. I murder some talk to others i want to give you a token for reading ass magazine the whole time he was digging oh thank you i think that's very in character oh much appreciated no i hate magic i hate magicians i've had a big fear of magicians ever since i was a kid okay great hey kids who wants to see a magician (laughs) subscribe to worst movies ever played wherever you get your podcasts Bert, i got a loaded gun and a ralph's back here god What's an owl doing with a loaded gun and a hand grenade? Uh, gonna put you on the spot here, Mike. Favorite Fincher movie? Favorite have, Fincher movie? Fuck. Do you have one that uh pops to mind? I'll, while you think, I'll say I'll say mine. It's, okay. it's Zodiac. 
Yeah, mine's a tie. I would have to watch them both again tomorrow to decide. It's either Zodiac or The Social Network. Mm, um, I have to rewatch The Social Network. I really liked it when I saw it, but I haven't watched it since I saw it. But yeah, I've rewatched Zodiac a few times. I'm very tempted to like just say, "Well, it's Zodiac," because Zodiac's like somehow perceived as the more serious of those two movies. Mm. But in reality, it's like Social Network is such a. I mean, he's he's famous for being a craftsman. And it's sort of a clockwork type filmmaker. A lot of people draw comparisons between him and Stanley Kubrick for that reason, that like the yeah. intense crafting of each piece and the social network is such uh it's like, it's, it, it's not, it doesn't feel like showing off. It doesn't feel like somebody's showing off, but it is a movie <clears throat> that like really is like, holy shit. Like this is so meticulously crafted. Yeah. Um, the Stanley, do we mention, talk about this on our podcast or did I hear it somebody else? Either way, it's third hand information, which uh-huh. apparently somebody said that the reason why Stanley Kubrick did so many takes wasn't because he was a perfectionist, was that he wanted all these options. Like he literally uh-huh. like didn't kind of the opposite was like he uh-huh. was a perfectionist, but he also like wasn't exactly sure what he wanted. Yeah. And so having all those options gave him choices. Anyway. Here we All go. I'm going to say is, in my limited experience as a film director, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't always have the answers. And I yeah. think it's it's very important when somebody asks you a question and you don't have an answer to say, you know, I don't know. That's, right. l- let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's something that James Cameron would probably scream at us for. <laughs> <laughs> you should know the answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're in uh, floating through space again, like the end of the first a second movie and the first movie. Uh, Ripley's in her hypersleep pod on the Saluco. Salako? Sulaco. Salako, I think. Salako. Yeah. Um, very quick cuts. We get like an open face hugger pod. I like these quick cuts. They're very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it breaks open one of the pods. Newt's there. We see acid melting the ground. A- an error uh, on the, like, you know, the ship. Stasis interrupted. Fire in cryogenic compartment. Alarms start going off. The pod gets ejected into space, and then it floats into the orbit of Fiorina, uh, aka Fury One Six One. And the uh, very lengthy description, text description is: Outer Veil Mineral Ore Refinery, Double Y Chromosome Work Correctional Facility, Maximum Security. Cool shot of it crashing onto this dark ass beach on this dark ass planet. And this is uh, one of the big differences between the two cuts mm. is like there's a lot of, frankly, pretty breathtaking shots. I'm surprised it wasn't in in the theatrical yeah. cut because they spent some fucking money on this bad boy. <laughs> uh, there's like these oil refineries on the beach. We see a man in a long duster. It's Clemens, we find out. Charles Dance, who uh, mm-hmm. some of you, most of you will recognize as... Um, the Lannister. Ty, uh, Tywin Lannister. Tywin Lannister from, yeah, Game, from of Game of Thrones. Um, he's one of those guys who, like, I I saw a bunch of movies with him mm-hmm. unknowingly before Game of Thrones, but since Game of Thrones, now I, like, it's kind of like learning a new word, and then you yeah. hear it everywhere. <laughs> he's like, right. it's like yeah. learning him, and like, oh, yeah, you know, he's in all these movies I've already seen. Right, or you, like, buy a car, and then all of a sudden every car on the road is your car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this right now. Um, Charles Dance is great in this. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, he's I've always great. thought he was a good actor, but he, he's really fucking good in this. 
You know, let's just get out of the way. Um, Sigourney Weaver is fucking great in this. Yep. Uh, I think Charles S. Dutton is fucking great in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Dance is great. There's really good performances in this movie. Yeah. Uh, one, oh, one downside I wanted to bring up before mm-hmm. is that everybody fucking looks the same. So that yeah. will affect my recap because sure. <laughs> I don't know who a lot of these people are. It was maybe a mistake to shave everybody's head and just be like a scrawny British actor. Yeah. I mean, I think the head shaving makes sense as a choice, but then it's yeah. like, okay, so maybe let's cast some more skin tones and colors. Yes. And it's a great reason to cast people of color. And also Jesus Christ, like it's just a bunch of fucking bald white british dude yeah it was so hard to tell people apart um okay so he finds ripley who's like blackened and covered in lice this fucking this lice is disgusting this is a problem all around the planet we'll learn Mm -hmm. of course the movie uh he brings her down inside uh then tells some other guys to uh you know go look for the others she starts spitting up dark water she's alive this is all cut from the theatrical cut Essentially in the theatrical, I won't keep doing this, no, but essentially in the, in the theatrical cut, she crash lands on the beach mm-hmm. um, and then the crew finds her and there's right. a dog with them and then they take yeah. her inside. So the dog is, is erased from this version. There's no right. dog. Yeah. And then the theatrical. Yeah. I, you'll get there in time. I'll yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, then we got the dudes real Jawa vibe coming from them in their like goggles <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. Dusters. Uh, they rush onto the beach with their oxen, um, which is cut from the theatrical version. Inside, they lay Ripley on a stretcher. Outside, they find Bishop, Hicks, and Newt are fucking dead. And a really, this is not in the in the theatrical cut. Yeah, a really really gruesome shot of like Hicks's face exploded. Like, yeah, I had paused Some it teeth. to like kind of make yeah. sense of it. There's like a job. He's like. His mouth is separated from his jaw, his jawbone, and his yeah. jawbone just kind of like laying there in this like mass of red. It's fucking gross. Yeah, I was also watching this with my son in the room. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> but he wasn't watching. He was like distracted by like YouTube. I was like on my work computer, uh-huh. uh, and I just like I always had to pause it, like look around. I'm, like, okay, you can't see it. All right. <laughs> um. Uh, so the really cool overhead shot of the bodies being loaded up from the crashed pod. Um, and then somebody reports all the casualties to Wayland Utani, the company that oversees this all in the theatrical cut. It's accompanied with pictures, which is helpful. But in this one, it's just, just text, like saying like, right. you know, female 10 years old, approximately deceased. Like, so we get for a second. I was like, this, is Newton this one? No. She's fucking dead. Yeah. Inside the prison, we meet Dylan, played by Charles S. Dutton. Um, He uh, leads his fellow prisoners in prayer. Um, The warden, Andrews, basically breaks down what happens to them. You notice that they have barcodes on the back of their shaved heads. Um, And he tells them one of the survivors was a woman, and they go nuts. (laughs) Big ruckus. They've all they've all taken a vow of celibacy. They're basically following this religion mm-hmm. that Dylan is like the head of on this colony. Yeah, he's the uh, they've taken a vow of celibacy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Dylan's upset. This disrupts the harmony and spiritual union. 
Um, and then Andrews tells them they've requested a rescue team to get Ripley out of there. Clemens, who's the doctor, Charles Dance, the doctor, uh, informs them that, informs them that she's going to live. Um, and then Andrew, base, Andrews is basically like, you have to make sure that she stays in that infirmary and does not leave without mm-hmm. without a uh, a uh, escort. Which makes sense. I'm gonna totally. Say. Yeah, there is there is a weirdness. Um, a couple of things that just like don't like don't exactly work. Like Ripley mm. is very galled by that idea, but I yeah. think it's like, yeah, that is a smart idea. Yeah, it's a it's bunch a of maximum security prison colony. Yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. you can't just walk around in general population. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of one of the things that Ripley um, is always challenging in the movie. It's like, well, I don't know. It's, it kind of checks out for me. Yeah. Um, Clemens checks on Ripley. He's about to inject her with her special cocktail <laughs> when she wakes up. Um, and he's like, what is that? Oh, just a little eye opener. He gives her the lowdown of like you know, the the situation they're in, they're going to want to shave your head for lice. Uh, when you get better, I'll give you some clippers and you can tend to your private parts yourself. Um, and then he, she asks like, where are the others? And uh, they didn't make it. So she gets up. She, she wants to get to the ship. Um, and she's naked. She's nude in this, in this, in this, uh, right now, <laughs> right now she's nude. I'm sorry. Wherever Sigourney Weaver is, she's nude right now. You want to give me some clothes or should I just go like this? And he's like, well, none of the others have seen a woman in years. and Neither have I, for that matter. He tells her that it used to be a 5,000 convict facility and now it's just 25. Kind of the most diehard people who don't want to leave the planet. Um, And they are there to keep the pilot light on for the blast furnace in the foundry, and they make lead sheets for toxic waste containers. This, I think, is also cut from the theatrical version Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, She wants to see the bodies, and he explains Bishop was disconnected. He was too damaged. Hicks was impaled, and Newt drowned in her cryotube. This is in the EEV. Uh, She sees the acid burns on the side of the container. And she notices it. She's like, oh, fuck. Well, there's probably an alien in here. Mm-hmm. So she wants to go to the morgue to see Newt. Um, and, uh, and, the guy, and Clemens is like, was she your daughter? No. And that made me think, like, they really should have left that daughter bit in Aliens. Yeah. Like, of all works. the things they cut, I think that's the most important thing that they cut. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only thing that they really shouldn't have cut. I think everything else that gets cut out for the most part is a uh, judicious. Yeah, I agree. Um, so he shows Ripley Newt's body. Um, she's like starts feeling around her me- her mouth and chest. She wants to do an autopsy, <clears throat> and then <laughs> Clemens is like, "No, I don't want to do. We're not doing that." He's like, "Well, you know, she was infected with cholera. Well, there hasn't been a case of cholera in two hundred years." She he knows that she's lying, but he he kind of trusts her that there's something mm-hmm. else going on. So finally convinces him. They do the autopsy. Everything's in its in its correct place. Opens up the chest. Is like a tense moment. Pretty gruesome. We can hear the sound design on this of like the sawing into the chest. It's pretty gross. Yeah. 
opens it up. We see a really quick shot of her chest cavity. It's clear. And he was like, well, all right, what's really going on here? But then they're interrupted by Andrews and um, Aaron, who's like the the lackey of Andrews. Uh, they call him 85 because that's his IQ. <laughs> <laughs> now, we had a little side chain going with a friend of the podcast, Craig. Shout out, Craig. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, who uh, we were talking about uh, actors popping up in this movie. And speaking of Aaron, a.k.a. 85, right? Um, did he look familiar to you, Eric? Well, you sent me the clip that he's from, so I did. no, I, I wouldn't have recognized him otherwise. No, yes, because he looks quite different. But mm-hmm. I didn't. I I had looked this up once before in the past and then forgotten it. So the actor's name is Ralph Brown. He's a very, uh, you know, he's a fairly popular British actor. He appeared in a lot of movies and TV. But for me, and for a lot of people my age and with my sense of humor. He is most recognizable as, I think, the uh, scene-stealing uh, breakout star of Wayne's World 2. He plays mm-hmm. Del Preston, the <laughs> the super roadie who tells... <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned... I mean, it obviously was in my head for a reason. We were talking about the Ozzy Osbourne M&M's thing, and, and he does that amazing monologue uh, of telling there the story. I was. Yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy wanted 3,000 light brown M&M's. Yeah. So we had it, me and Mick Jones and somebody else, we headed down to the south and, and broke into a candy store. And what did we see there but a bloody Bengal tiger? Like, and the whole story ends with, he's like, so we got the tiger, the shopkeeper and his son. That's another story altogether. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. <laughs> I gotta revisit those movies. It's been a while. Wayne's World 2 is great. They're both great. But yeah, yeah. anyways. Uh, yeah, Ralph Brown is fucking hilarious in Wayne's World 2. And uh, yeah, I mean, he does a good job in this too. Um, so Andrew's pissed that, uh, you know, she's been, you know, that this autopsy was done without his authority. And he wants Ripley to stop parading around the prisoners. Um, and Clemens has Ripley's back and is like, well, you know, she was may have been infected with cholera. You don't want an outbreak on your hands. And so they agree to uh, cremate Hicks in Newt's body, which Ripley wants to do because she thinks they might, she might be, they might be infected with aliens. Um, so then uh, Andrews explains, we have 25 prisoners in this facility, all double Y chromos, all thieves, rapists, murderers, child molesters, all scum. I don't want a woman rock- walking around and giving them ideas. Um, so me- then it cuts away. Some dudes wheeling a dead ox, just crawling with that disgusting lice. <laughs> so disturbed. I don't know what kind yeah. of bugs those actually were. Yeah, they're not lice. They're too big. Yeah, um, they're fucking horrifying. <laughs> yeah, they're really gross. This seems like but, another miserable, miserable planet. Like the the Alien Two planet. Yeah, uh, is also ugh. This is way worse. I mean, this is the most honestly like this planet over the course of this movie ends up being portrayed as like one of the most unpleasant settings I can remember for a movie. Yeah, you know. Oh man, I just had a video. Oh, I didn't see it. I gotta see it. It's called It's Hard to Be a God. Okay. It's like a Russian movie. I think it's Russian. Maybe not be Russian. 
but it's like it's supposed to be like one of the most disgusting movies. It's about like an ancient civilization, not ancient, but like you know, like middle medieval civilization. And uh-huh. Everything's disgusting. It reminds me just of the clips I've seen of that. Great story, Eric. Let's continue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're being pervy about Ripley talking about how they'd seduce her which is actually kind of nice like seducing her more than just like, <laughs> fucking attacking her you know we really gotta set the bar pretty low on this prison yeah. planet but yeah i'd give her a wink the dirty spiral hey then she'd say kiss my ass you dirty old fucker i'd be happy to kiss her ass i'd be happy to kiss her anywhere she wants <laughs> um so they're gonna butcher this ox even though it's dead and disgusting they're gonna use it for meat uh, Frank, one of them goes away. The other guy's like, "Hey, Frank, what's this?" And he holds up a dead face hugger. So you know, you know yeah. something's up. And I want to talk up. about this for a second. Did I'm curious because it it did jump out at me, but I wasn't sure what I was seeing. But did when he's holding the face hugger up to you, does it look any different? Did it did it, did that strike you as like seeming like a like a somehow different kind of face hugger? No, it looked the same to me. Okay, uh, but I I, so- I didn't. I didn't pay that much attention to it, I guess. So what it is, is it's actually referred to uh, in alien lore as a royal face hugger. Um, oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, and so continue. it is bigger. Uh, its tail is longer. And probably most notably, uh, it has webbing between its uh, claws, essentially. Oh, um, and you know, this is not some, this is something that gets expanded on a lot in the comics, but this is really the only nod to this. And then the fact that I think much more so in the, um, in the extended version versus the theatrical version, there'll be talk about a queen, uh, later in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, this is, so this is not a standard face hugger. This is a Royal face hugger. Uh, remind me to let's talk about the queen stuff. Cause okay. I have questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think at this point we can, I mean, also if you want, we we can can just talk about it, dispense with spoilers. So yeah, later on when we find out that Ripley, uh, uh, you know, big plot point here is in, she has, uh, an alien inside her, right? She's the one who actually has the alien inside of her. Yeah. As opposed to the crew, as opposed to Newt or Hicks. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, this royal face hugger, I guess the canon, like the story behind it, is it it, it can actually infect two people uh, or two things because basically it like plants the queen and then it plants a drone that's meant to be, in essence, a bodyguard for the queen. Oh. Um, and so that is what has been planted in uh, Babe the Ox, right, is the second of the two. Um and so the implication is that Ripley has already been infected on the Sulaco. So that is one of my biggest problems with this movie mm-hmm. is that Ripley just knows it's a queen. And yeah. I don't know how she knows that. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be some idea that she can just sense it somehow. Yeah. But it doesn't really work for me. It, it doesn't. I don't know. I, I'm with you. I don't think I think it is sort of odd um and and then the thing is if you think about the theatrical cut right so at least we get to see this royal face hugger but in both move in both versions of the movie there isn't a sufficient explanation no. right but then it's like in the theatrical cut additionally like all we know is that like the dog got infected by a face hugger so i guess the implication is there was a second face hugger 
on the ship earlier than infected Ripley, but we never see it. We never hear about it. Right. Um, so all we know is that there's one face hunger, but somehow we have two uh, aliens. Embryos. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, the, uh, okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. We're in the furnace. Um, the wardens read a prayer, which is intercut with like the butcher butchery of the ox. Oh no, in the butchery, not of the ox. But the ox does start moving. Um ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and then Dylan interrupts with his own prayer. Why? Why are the innocent punished? Um clearly nobody asked him to do this, but Ripley is moved by this gesture. The ox bursts open. Right as the bodies fall into the furnace, Dylan's talking about new life being created. Uh, I didn't write down exactly what he said, but it's basically mm. like you know, new life will be created from the ashes, that kind of shit. The xenomorph falls to the floor. It looks pretty cool. The The practical effects in this look great. The CGI mm-hmm. looks fucking awful. All right. Well, not to derail us, but let's have another quick conversation. Let's have a quick, um, let's, let's okay. do a sidebar. Killstreak sidebar. Sidebar. So this scene is CGI. Um, it is. It is of the of the. Uh, so this is the you know essentially the burster coming out of the ox, right? Yeah. Uh, not not initially coming out, but when we see it standing and then running off, that is CGI. That is CGI. Yeah, yeah. And that is CGI that was done years after the release of this movie for the assembly cut only. Okay. No, so, but I looked. I looked at the theatrical cut, and so this and is that. It looked the so, same, but Sorry. but in the so well, but in the theatrical cut, it's coming out of the dog. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's a but completely the, different scene. The alien looks the same though. Like well, they use certain, the same shots of the, the 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 like the practical effects of the alien looking around and like screaming with its second mouth, mm-hmm. and then the scampering away looks the same. It's I think it's the same shots. So there are some. I think combinations of various shots here um, that was sort of explained the, the, the dragon it's called the dragon, right? In lore. Yeah. Uh, as it is running away from the dead ox uh, is a CGI shot when the ox yeah. is in the shot, right? Because obviously that's not from the theatrical cut. Oh, that's true. So yeah. that's, that is CGI. Now, some of the chest bursting close-ups and some of the other scenes of it moving around in this, or shots of it moving around in this, like, paralleled scene in the theatrical cut. So, to be clear, in in the theatrical cut of the movie, and in, in the original movie, there is almost no CGI at all in the entire film. Hmm. Um, however, that does not mean there aren't special effects being used, and it doesn't mean they aren't bad. <laughs> um but to to clarify, because this is a common misconception and one that I was chided about not making the same mistake of saying before we did this podcast by certain listeners. Um, <laughs> so all of the bad special effects that you're seeing for the most part is blue screen compositing. Um, okay. So the alien is a puppet. It is it is in these shots. It is a rod puppet. It is built to scale. So it's you know much smaller than the actual alien. Uh, and then it's shot on a blue screen and then composited in, right? Mm. Um, so it's not CGI. So the movement of it itself, and this is how I feel about it, now that knowing this and watching it this time, the actual movement of the alien isn't that bad because it is a real puppet. It's a practical effect. However, 
it sticks out like a sore thumb because the blending of the composited footage and the live footage is very okay. bad. Okay. Right? So it's almost like you're just looking at clip art in a certain way where it's just like, yeah, you're just looking at these two things being shoved together and the blend is just not very good. The only okay. actual CGI from the original movie comes the very last scene of okay. the alien uh, itself and, 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 and it's undoing, which we'll get to in due time. Okay. Good to know. Uh, it scampers away on four legs. It should be noted because yes it's, it's a quadruped <laughs> it's 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 now you know has ox dna or dog dna depending on which version you saw ripley shaved her head um she's like in the shower you can hear like some creepy prisoners talking about her in the mess hall a couple of dudes are whispering to each other i think it's like mm, fuck i forget their names doesn't matter dylan clocks it and kind of sits down with them there's a lot of talk going around that we've got some disharmony they're like, well, I don't mind the dark. I don't mind the bugs. I don't mind anything. I mind Golic. Golic is the third guy at the table. He's right there. <laughs> They're talking about yeah. him. He's right there. He smells bad. He's crazy. Well, he's going with you. Um, so this is stuff that was definitely cut. It's all got like most of Golic's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, backstory. He's he's Rip- a pretty important character in the extended version. And he yeah, he is ba- barely anything in the theatrical cut. Ripley walks in wearing dirty, baggy clothes, but everybody falls silent. They haven't seen a woman in years. Uh, Gallic cro- gives him the does the sign of the cross. <laughs> Ripley uh, thanks Dylan for what he said at the funeral. He's like, yeah, well, you don't want to know me, lady. I'm a murderer and rapist of women. Well, I guess uh, I must make you pretty nervous. And she sits down with him at the table. Yeah. Um, you got any faith, sister? Not much. Well. We got a lot, even enough for you. Uh, he explains like they they stayed on the planet because they're waiting for God to return. Some shit like that. <laughs> uh, Dylan and the rest of the uh, alternative people. Oh, this is uh, Clemens. Later, Clemens ex- ex- is explaining to Ripley what their deal is. So like Dylan and the rest of the alternative people embrace religion. Uh, they wanted to stay even after the company closed the facility. and um. So then he's like, well, you know, tell me what you're really looking for. And she distracts him by being like, all right, are you attracted to me? And they end up fucking. <laughs> we get a dude in the air ducks with this giant fan. He's singing this crazy ass song. That's like yeah. kind of like in the year 25, 25, but it's like updated in a way. For like and yeah, he's got a, he's got a little bit of a Tom Waits vibe too. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because uh, I think Fincher eventually puts a Tom Waits song in Fight Club. And I was like, oh, maybe Fincher likes Tom Waits. And he was like, sing like Tom Waits. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He steps in something gooey. It's that alien shed skin. They notice a big hole and stupidly sticks his face in. And we quickly see like the molting alien move. It spits acid in his face. He falls backwards, goes tumbling into the fan, and fucking explodes. <laughs> His... <laughs> he does explode. I don't know if it can spit acid. But does I it not? It just, I felt like he think it just it seemed like he spit something in his face, or maybe he hit I, him. I'm not. I think was... it just bites his face. Oh, and... maybe it bites it. Maybe the movement looked like spit. To yeah. Me. But yeah, I mean, I, I, if that's yeah, true, right. if, then he's, that's... if he spit it, then he doesn't utilize that acid spit anymore. Yeah. Through the rest of the movie. 
uh, Ripley's eyes pop open. She's laying next to Clement. She notices his barcode on the back of his head. And um, so she's like, oh, well, was he a prisoner? Um, and then he's like, I appreciate your affection, but I'm aware you deflected my question in the nicest possible way. Um, yeah, I'll skip over some shit. She points <laughs> yeah, out his barcode. And um, he's like, oh, I can't explain it right now, uh, but I will he, uh, later. Wait, he really likes to uh, Charles dance around uh, yeah. this issue, doesn't he? <laughs> I think some of this stuff is cut in the theatrical, kind mm-hmm. of rightfully so, because this yeah. this scene sort of repeats itself like four times. Yeah, <laughs> like three or in four times of like different versions, and they keep coming back to the same conversation. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple other times too where it's like planning of like okay we're gonna do this like all everybody <laughs> gathering and it's like, right. it gets repeated too much he's buzzed by andrews um who is like you know one of the prisoners has been diced it was murphy um inside the vent clemens notices the holes and then andrew's like hey in a half an hour see me in my office ripley meanwhile goes to the crashed ship She's like looking at, I don't know, something she pulls out of it. I'm not exactly sure. It's like the flight it's like record flight or something. Recorder, yeah. Yeah. Clement surprises her. He tells her about the burn mark he saw, rather like the one he found on the sh- girl's cryotube. And he wants to help, but he needs to know what's happening. Um, and she's like, well, I want the computer to access the flight recordings. Well, there's no computer on this planet that could do that. But what about Bishop? Clemens goes into Andrew's office to get his scolding. Uh, listen to me, you piece of shit. You screw with me one more time, I'll cut you in half. <laughs> like how I angry really, Andrews always is. Andrews is so angry, and I love the way that Clemens, that Charles Dance plays this. I forget what his his scathing British line is, but yeah. basically, <laughs> basically he starts screaming at him, and he says he responds with something to the effect of like, "I don't think I like the way you're talking to me." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't I enjoy that. Yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, Andrew received a message from the company, and they want Ripley looked after, and he scolds him again for letting her out of the infirmary. Um. And then he threatens to tell Ripley about his past, his dark past. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure what this argument's about. This is like the scene, the two actors are doing a fine job. Right. But Andrews is just very upset that yeah. he let Ripley out. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's a little bit confusing about like, why exactly are they so mad at each other? Because they're like, I don't like you. You don't like me kind of shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the point of it, right? Is it's yeah. just to establish more of that, which, yeah, I, I think you could make the argument that this isn't doing much for the movie as a whole. Yeah. Uh, Ripley's poking around in the trash. She finds Bishop's fucked up body. Bishop looks fucked up. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, really, gr- kind of the grossest thing in the movie, again, is the, like... I do I, lo- Yeah. In all three of these movies, I would say that probably the most graphic scene in each film you could argue is uh, a rending or just like a serious dismembering of one of the droids. Yeah, I think so. She gets cornered by a bunch of creeps, music blares. They're going to rape her like that's That is their plan. Yeah, it's it's shot. It's done weird. I mean, it's already a very uncomfortable idea. It's one that thematically makes sense. Um, Yeah. But it's like the like there's like guitars and shit like yeah like the tone of it is very strange yeah. like yeah, on the like, score 
heavy metal yeah. just blares when this happens or something. Yeah. It's it's weird. And, yeah, the head the head uh would be rapist is this is Holt McCallany, who is a very talented Fincher regular. From Holt and um, Catch Fire. <laughs> no, you idiot. Sorry. It's Halt and Catch Fire, our our good friend who definitely listens to the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure he does. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to be very offended when he listens to this tomorrow when it launches. Um, (laughs) He's been, (laughs) but uh, our most busy friend. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Holt McCallany. Yeah, a lot of people know him from uh fight club uh but probably most famously he has a one of the lead roles on mindhunter he plays bill tench um which is a good show that i like uh and it's done now which is too bad but i gotta get past the pilot i hated the pilot i keep watching it okay don't be don't be a wuss but uh (laughs) anyways um yeah all i was gonna say is that yeah he has a very uh small role bigger in this than it is in the theatrical cut but not by much um yeah like throws these goggles on and yeah the whole thing just feels like a little too exciting yeah Uh, it's i think it strikes the wrong tone that that's my my point dylan comes to the rescue yeah like take off i gotta re-educate some brothers i do like that line a lot i like that too ripley punches out that guy halt Mm -hmm. whatever i can't remember his character's name so then in the tunnel in a tunnel we get the three prisoners including gorlick Gorlick, Gorlick, Gorlick. I wrote Gorlick for yeah, some reason. Like, uh, like Bob Gorlick, former NFL football player who plays the RA and Saved by the Bell of the College Years. Jesus fucking Christ! Yeah, of <laughs> course. Now, now I know. You know, Bob. Why did I think of that? Otherwise, yeah. um, they have these cool sparkler torches because there's no flashlights. They just have like these, yeah. Like, welding torches essentially yeah and they've got this little, like little curved thing that i guess protects like the face of the person who's holding it they are they're they're pretty sweet um yeah there's some business he finds a drippy puddle of goo one of them does and then a xenomorph rises up behind him nabs a, nabs him Gallic and the other guy uh this african-american guy well no he's not he's british i don't know what he is he's a black guy <laughs> What am I doing? I'm reading the book Ant Kind, and uh, oh sure, this is that uh, uh, what is Kaufman? Charlie Kaufman Kaufman book. Uh, It's really funny, and one of the things in it is that the guy insists on referring to every black person as African American, even though he's like corrected a bunch of times. (laughs) Um, He's British. He's not American. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so then they run, they find, they end up finding his body's all fucked up. Uh, another one gets nabbed. The black guy gets nabbed. The top of his head fucking comes off, like flips back. It looks like mm-hmm. it's cool. F- splashes Gallic in the face. He runs off. Um, <clears throat> Bishop's remains get flopped onto a stretcher. Ripley hooks him up. He's all fucked yeah, up. She puts like a fucking like sort of needle thing in his ear. It's yeah, gross. like you would inflate inflate a basketball with, like sticks yeah, it in his yeah. ear. <laughs> My legs and hurt. the funny, just like very briefly. Sorry, another mm-hmm. tangent that we don't have time for. Well, whatever. This is our podcast. This I yeah, mean, we if you're listening to this, yeah, and if you're listening to this, you're listening to us talk about things we want to talk about. So I guess in theory, anything I decide to say is 
fitting for the podcast, right? Anyways, this is a diversion from my diversion. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking about the fact that, like, yeah, you said it looks like a basketball needle going into his head. And one of the cool things about being an adult and a fan of films and how films get made it's like when you're a kid, you in my head, I'm like, yeah, man, it looks like a basketball needle, but that must be some kind of like crazy technology that I just don't know about. And then as a, as a 37 year old, I'm like, it's probably a fucking basketball needle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like an it's like an air pump needle that somebody was just like, yeah, this would make a cool piece of technology. This will look some, cool. Yeah, somebody some like our friend Ryan Martin will design like you know he, he does production design and shit on movies and mm-hmm. he makes these kind of props sometimes. Yeah. Hey, you'll see, you'll, maybe you'll hear from him a little bit later in this series. Who knows? Hard to say. Be weird if you brought it up and it didn't happen though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She asks him to access the flight, the data on the flight recorder. Meanwhile, in the mess hall, Gollick's eating like a creep in the dark. Um, (laughs) You know, he smiles at one of the guys who works there and he drops his plate. I'm not sure exactly why he's so afraid of Gollick. He's like all fucked. He's a little bit bloody. Gollick's crazy and he's very simple. That's his his deal. And just you were asking about this earlier. And just so just to, to let you know, starting with this scene, everything with Gollick in it for the rest of the movie is pretty much uh, added stuff. Oh, really? Even yeah. like him releasing the Xenoblade? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's added? Absolutely. Yeah. What? Yeah. There is a crazy. huge chunk of the movie that is not in the theatrical cut after this point. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I got to keep, uh, maybe finish it tonight. We'll see. Um, so Bishop replays the flight logs. Uh, you know, we hear like the firing cryo fire. And he's, um, she asks him, was there an alien on board? Yes. It was with them in the EV. And then Dylan and four other dudes inside there in inside the, uh, mess hall grab Gallic. um so essentially now the f- company Waylon yutani knows that an alien was in the ship um mm-hmm. so they know you know they're coming the rescue yeah, team is coming everything that ripley's doing is being or or i guess they knew all along is that the implication yeah everything that okay. ripley is hearing now is something the mm-hmm. company's already heard okay and so they know um and then bishop's like i hurt do me a favor, disconnect me. I could be reworked, but I'll never be top of the line again. I'd rather be nothing. Fucking Bishop's awesome. I love I like Bishop. Bishop. Yeah, I like Bishop the android. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. She unplugs him, puts him out of his misery. The guys grab Gallic, and then uh, they think he's the one who killed Murphy, like one of the guys in the tunnel. And he's babbling about a dragon, which is what he calls the xenomorph. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to send a search team out to find the others. Andrews thinks that Gallic may have killed them, but Dylan doesn't. Oh, so, so yeah, Dylan's not in. He doesn't buy it. He doesn't think Gallic did it. And Ripley interrupts him. This is like, and is like, you know, he's telling the truth. It's not. He didn't kill them. Right. The xenomorph did. Uh, Ripley gives Andrews the lowdown. Of course he doesn't buy it. <laughs> Nobody ever does. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is one of those things where this is like a pretty lazy character, which we see this in lots of movies. And, you know, sometimes yeah. it works. But just like the angry authority figure who absolutely under no circumstances will listen to what the person has to say. And it's like, yeah, we get it. Like, <laughs> it's pretty cliche. Yeah. 
Exactly. She wants to know what kind of weapons they have. And he's like, this is a prison. We don't have any weapons. Uh, we have some carving knives in the abattoir. <laughs> then we're fucked. And we have an abattoir. So. <laughs> we have an abattoir. <laughs> he confines her to the, the infirmary. <clears throat> Clement tells her that the only way off is a, off the planet is a supply ship that comes like once a month or some shit. Um, but there is that team that's coming to pick Ripley up. She still won't tell Clemens about what's going on because she's like, you'll say I'm just crazy. I don't buy that. I feel like Ripley would tell, tell Clemens mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. She, start, she starts coughing. She doesn't feel good. Six to her stomach. Um, Gallic, who's chained to a bed, starts blabbing away. Um, and so Clemens is like giving Ripley an injection of one of his famous cocktails. <laughs> um, and then Gallic is uh, you know, blabbing away. Oh, that's okay. That's not the important part here. Sorry, it comes up later. More <laughs> great job, Eric. Yeah, your <laughs> listeners love you. Um, <laughs> she wants to know why he's there, why Clemens is there, <sighs> and he explains that he got addicted to morphine when he was training to be a doctor. Um, and then he did a thirty-six hour shift after the after which he went out drinking, got fucked up. He got called back to mm-hmm. the hospital because there was like some sort of accident where a bunch of people got hurt and he ended up prescribing the wrong medication and 11 people died. Yeah. So that's why he's there. So I'm just going to say trust me with this needle. Mm-hmm. At least part of that has got to be on the nurses too. You know, you got to catch that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Right. I, it's it's kind of crazy that he ended up on this fucking planet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gallic tied to the bed notices something dropped down from the ceiling. This is this not in this, this is there's this a part, couple added shots here, yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's like a lot of the Gallic stuff is extra, and then actually, one of the shots that's additional is I thought was very cool, which is you just see the underside of that cot like bowing yeah, under the sink weight down. of the alien, yeah. That's mm-hmm. not in the theatrical cut, it's a cool shot. Mm-hmm. Um, Clemens injects. Ripley, the xenomorph, comes up behind Clemens and grabs him and the alien just straight up punches a hole into the back of his head. Yeah. It's cool. That was a surprise for me. I don't remember, you know, like I said, I don't remember this movie very well from when I first saw it, so right. I was a little bit shocked that he died this early in the movie. It works well. I mean, yeah, well, Charles Dance is set up as the sort of second lead uh, yeah. up to this point in the movie. Yeah, so... And and yeah, what, I mean, essentially, what happens is we get a little bit of a switcheroo now, where Charles S. Dutton ends up kind of it's like he steps into the role as second lead from here yeah. on out. Yeah. Um. So we get that really famous shot. It's in the trailers. It's in everything mm-hmm. of Ripley cowering, like hiding behind, like a some sort of shelving, whatever. Mm-hmm. The alien comes up, opens her, opens its mouth. The second mouth comes up and like. Is like snapping at her face, but not touching her. Mm-hmm. And then it goes away, doesn't kill her, drags Clemens' body into the vents. Yeah. Certainly the most iconic shot in this movie. Might even be one of the most iconic shots in the series. Yeah. Even, even in like, you know, this is a much derided sequel 
That mm. shot gets, you know, there's like TikTok videos of like somebody using a stapler to like recreate it. <laughs> it's a pretty, yeah. pretty famous shot. <clears throat> well, it's a great shot. And I mean, it is, a, I mean, also it makes sense just as like if you're repurposing a shot from the alien movies, it's like, oh, it's got an alien and the Sigourney Weaver in it in close up. And it's like, yeah, yeah there's not a lot of other shots like that. So, uh, so Dylan and, and the rest of the boys meet in the mess hall. Um, Andrew's there. He gives him the rundown of what happened to Murphy and the others. He's still blaming Golic. And they have to send a search party out. Uh, Ripley's running through the halls. She bursts in. It's here. It got Clemens. And Anderson's like, get that foolish woman back to the infirmary. Then suddenly the xenomorph pops down from the ceiling, reaches mm-hmm. down, grabs him, pulls him into the vent. Blood rains down. Pretty cool. I like that and sequence. I- I do too. And I think it's a great move for the movie where it's just like, thank God we don't have to listen to her argue with this guy anymore about whether or not the alien is a real threat. It's yeah, just exactly. Like moving on. You know? Exactly. Um, the prisoners all start freaking out. Aaron assumes that he's in charge because he's, you know, the second in command. Dylan wants Ripley because she's an actual officer. She's um, not being super cooperative. No. And then uh, she's like, you know, he's like, what does that beast want? Uh, he's like, well, he's just, he's just going to kill us, all of us. Um, and she hasn't seen this type before because now it's like, you know, combined with the DNA of an ox. Mm-hmm. But one way that's always worked for her is that it's afraid of fire. They don't really have anything that can, you know, there's no flamethrowers or anything on the right. uh, planet. Um. But then uh, Ripley and Aaron look at the ventilation system and come up come up with a plan. They and he's he like lets her know that inside this toxic dis toxic disposal unit that's never been right. used, they store this like really flammable liquid. I missed maybe the ex- explanation of what exactly it is. Doesn't really matter. It's just yeah. like magic magic fire. It's like juice. napalm, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Space napalm. And the uh, the containment unit has six feet thick walls, so they come up with a plan, and they're going to paint the explosive liquid all through all of the tunnels, like the air shafts, to draw the alien out, fun- funnel it into this containment unit, and trap it inside. It, there's yeah. no way that it can get out. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Dylan has <laughs> Dylan has a line. You want us why cr- chromo boys to help? <laughs> I love why chromo boys. <laughs> uh they gear up, they start painting the vents with the flammable liquid. Um Ripley starts feeling bad again physically. Uh one of the dudes in the vents finds goo dripping from a ripped up vent. It's definitely in here with us. And then someone else, I don't know, maybe it's him. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Climbs up a ladder. He's carrying a bucket of explosive liquid and an igniter. He opens <laughs> up like a hatch. Yeah. And the, and the xenomorph grabs him. He drops the bucket in the igniter because it's cool slow-mo shot of it like yeah. falling to the ground, hitting, sparking, boom. Shit starts blowing. Ripley hits the deck. Dudes are getting torched. 
Yeah, everybody's in, and this is, I mean, it's its a dangerous plan. Right? Yeah, Just it is. Like, fucking everybody's in the vents painting the floor with napalm, and then all of a sudden there's an explosion. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't go well. Doesn't go well. Um, Looks like, because you can, I could start noticing the difference in quality of the sound in the picture. Yeah. In the, in the assembly cut, and you can tell, like, oh, yeah, there's some of the connecting shots are probably not in the theatrical cut, which makes things really co- like confusing, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the xenomorph corners some of the corners like the crew. There's one guy separated who's in front of the containment unit. He decides Holt to McCallany. sacrifice himself. What's that? And it's Holt McCallany. Oh, that's him? Okay. From Holt and Catch Fire. From Holt and Catch Fire. <laughs> He decides he's going to sacrifice himself, runs into the unit. It follows him. They shut the door. He screams inside. Dylan hits the sprinklers. The fire goes out. Okay. Yeah. Pause. Pause. So, assembly cut versus theatrical cut. Starting with Junior leading the alien away into the waste plant, successfully trapping the alien. That is only in the extended cut. And then pretty much everything that happens for like the next five to 10 minutes is only assembly cut. Um, so in the theatrical wow. cut, the, uh, the, the, the plan to trap the alien fails. That is really, it fails completely. Yes. Uh, and the movie never revisits the character of Gallic again. Um, yeah, he is gone from the movie. I think it all jumps forward to them. Basically just being like, okay, well, it's still out. What the fuck are we going to do? And then they come up with the uh, lead mold plan. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm going to skip a, I'm going to skip some stuff here. Okay. Um, in the sake of time, basically Ripley, you know, they regroup and um, trying to figure out what's going to happen. And Ripley tells them that the rescue team is not going to kill the alien like they think. They're like, oh, they'll, they'll kill it. They have their guns. They'll kill it. No, they're not going to. Uh, in the infirmary, Golic is tied to the bed. He's crying and begging to be let loose. Morris is there guarding him. And finally, he's like, all right, fine. I'll untie you. He convinces him. Uh, he's like, so uh, where, where, where do they got it? The dragon. And he tells him in the containment unit. I got to see it again. He knocks out Morse. Ripley and Aaron send a message to the company that they trapped the xenomorph. Do they have permission to terminate it? And then they respond, hell no. (laughs) Rescue units 12 hours away. Permission denied. Golic wants to get into the unit. There's a guy guarding it. He slits that guy's throat. It's cool. It's kind of a cool time, cool moment. He's like, yeah. well, he slits his throat. He's like, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> He's like apologizing <laughs> as the guy dies. Yeah. Opens up the chamber, goes in. You know, like there's a cool shot of his eyes. Suddenly it goes dark. And then we see the aliens scrambling out. Uh, Ripley downloads Dylan on the whole situation. They have to kill it, the alien, before the rescue team can get there because there's no way that they're going to actually kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, one um, of the okay, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say this is one of the. I don't know if I, I noticed it in the last big Dylan scene or in this one, but he has like a, it's like a huge crotch bulge. Does he? <laughs> He's got like almost like a cod piece. 
Oh, I didn't notice like, that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that must be part of the prisoner's outfits. And then for the rest of the movie, I was like, nope, nobody else except for Charles S. Dutton. Maybe Charles S. Dutton just has a big hog. But I mean, there's like, there is a thing. There's like, it's it's highlighted. Like, there's uh-huh. like piping around his bulge on the I pants. didn't notice that. That's funny. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I don't know if that's supposed to mean something or not, but check out the bulge. <laughs> uh, Ripley seems sick. Um, she wants to get to the EEV to use the neuroscanner. So she goes in there. Aaron follows her um, and he has her scan. He has, she has him scan her and it's a foreign tissue type. Uh, I think you've got one inside of you. Nice acting on Sigourney Weaver's part because mm-hmm. she realizes that she has a fucking alien inside of her. Somehow she knows yeah. it's a queen. Not really sure how she knows that, but she does. Um, everybody's regrouped. Dylan gives a speech to like motivate them and they get, they come up with this plan. They got to lead it to the lead furnace the big pilot light that they're keeping the forge you know mm-hmm. they're gonna fucking burn it ripley and aaron send the company another message and ripley wants to tell them that the whole place has gone toxic so they won't come um they'll stay stay away from the planet she doesn't want the creature off of the planet so that it can go and infect other people aaron the company man doesn't want to do that and he's like, ah, I have a wife and kid. Ripley, Ripley rubs him up a bit to like get the secret message, the code to like send the message. I like this scene because you understand both of their motivations. Like, yeah. Aaron doesn't seem like a bad guy, right? But you know, he's being logical about it. Mm-hmm. In that, like, yeah, he does have a wife and kid. He's not a smart guy. Yeah, uh, and Ripley isn't angry at him. And he even at one point he's like, you know, I. I, I think you're a good person. I think you're okay. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, being a dick about this because I don't like you. Right. <clears throat> and, yeah, I mean, I it's funny because I, I thought of you <laughs> when this is happening. <laughs> Whoa. Because you're Am simple. I an Aaron type? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're just, you're the one of the two of us who has a wife and a child. Uh-huh. And, and I was For like, now. yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'll always have the kid. Yeah. He, he'll oh, be- boy. Oh, boy. Jesus <laughs> Do you want me to cut that out or are you good? No, I'm kidding. Uh, she no, doesn't listen. Yeah, of course. But um, no, but I was just going to say, yeah. And I mean, to me, even as someone who's not quite in that position, it's like, yeah, it makes sense that that would be your number one motivator. Yeah. That it's like, even if you're right, I don't really care. It's like, I'm not going to risk my life for this because I want to get home and see my family. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so she wants to go look for it because it's not going to hurt her. She's come to that conclusion that because she has the queen inside of her, it's not going to hurt her anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she wants to look for it. They get a message. The rescue team is now two hours away. Um, and the highest priority is that Ripley is to be quarantined. So he has to kind of make a decision on what to do. Ripley goes into the tunnels. She's poking around. She finds what she thinks is the uh, xenomorph all like coiled up in a corner. She's like, you've been, you've been in my life so long. I can't remember anything else. And she hits it with like a pipe or something. I can't remember what she hits it with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's actually a pipe. It's not a xenomorph or it's confusing. 
I had to rewind it a couple times to see like what mm-hmm. she sees. I think it is just a pipe. It's full of lice, which is disgusting. Yeah, it's just like a gleaming rounded pipe that happens to look like the top of the xenomorph's head. Yeah. But then it drops down behind her, cut to black. Then Ripley reports to Dylan. So she got away from that encounter. We don't see how. She reports to Dylan and tells her tells him that it's not gonna kill her because it knows that she has one inside of her. Um, so she wants Dylan to kill her. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of into it because he is a murderer of women. <laughs> he's like, oh, fuck, yeah, I kind of want to do that, but no, I'm not going mm-hmm. to. He hits her, he has like an axe in his hand, he like hits it next to her head, doesn't hit her. Um, he's like, I, I'm not going to kill you until we kill it. Um, and then maybe, you know, it won't kill you, so you can help us fight it, which is good reasoning, right. I think. Right. Then and I like how this, her. yeah, I like how this scene wraps up, too, where she's like, she, she, he's basically like, you have to help us first. And then she's like, then after that, will you kill me? And then he's like, yeah, I will. Yeah. And I'll make it. It'll be fast. It'll be fast. Painless. Yeah. yeah. But he also says it like, I'm going to do a really good job of killing you. once again he addresses the group um Aaron's doesn't want to fight it because the company's on the way and Aaron kind of stands up for himself because they call him Mm -hmm. 85 this is why you find out why he's 85 which is they saw that his IQ was 85 on his like (laughs) personal record yeah. yeah his personal record um and then everybody wants to wait for the rescue team because they have guns blah 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 and Ridley, Rid, Ridley, Ridley Scott, Ripley once again explains that they're not going to kill it because they don't give a shit about the people on this planet. They just want the alien. And she mm. says the line, they think we're, we're crud. Yeah, it's a weird line. Stupid line. <laughs> <laughs> they come up with a plan to drown the alien in hot lead. Uh, I guess it happens now. All right. Yeah. Dylan gives and really, a speech. We can, motivates yeah, everybody. We can fast forward. Let's fast forward. This- this is all just one long action sequence. From now right? on, it is one long yeah. action sequence. Uh, so they're going. The idea that they have is that they're going to start closing off doors, mm-hmm. ways of entry for the alien. They use themselves as bait. Right. Just run they, down a hallway, get it to chase you, close doors behind it. As you exactly yeah. until it finally, you know, gets to where they want it to be. A few right. people die doing this. I think uh, almost everyone dies. <laughs> pretty much everybody dies. There's these cool POV shots of the alien chasing him. Do you like goes these? upside down. Uh, I like them. Yeah, I think so. I do too. Uh, sorry, Craig. Uh, Eric and I both disagree with you. Uh, mm. I think these, yeah, I think the fisheye POV stuff is interesting. Because it's definitely the other thing that really stuck with me as a kid from this movie, right? It's... And I think it's the thing that features really heavily in like the trailer and stuff. And yeah, there's a handful of things that stick out from this and that's one of them. And yeah, it's obviously a pretty, it's a very nineties feeling in retrospect. It is. Yeah. I think it works. Yeah. Um, so the rescue team arrives, they're slowly walking in. They look kind of cool. Aaron's relieved. Oh, thank God you're here. He tells them where Ripley is. Um, I wrote, God, it looks like shit when it's CGI, meaning the alien. <laughs> Which is really bad compositor. Yeah. They get into the chamber where the lead is, the molten lead. Morse shuts the door. 
he goes, you know, triggers the lead, whatever that means. Um, yeah, and, and, Rip- and, and oh, okay, point, yeah. So oh, I was going to say Ripley say. and Dylan are kind of like in this, yeah, place where the lead is going to be poured, and they've led yeah. the xenomorph in there. At this point, the plan has worked at the expense of every single member of the plan except for Dylan, Morse, and Ripley. Yeah. They're the, the only, only three, three who are still alive. Standing. And then yeah. Aaron is with the Wayland yutani people. Exactly. Um, so she wants to stay inside and die with the alien as the lead's poured, but he won't let it happen because the, the agreement was the alien dies first. So mm-hmm. he actually sacrifices, he helps her up. Alien chases him. He starts like climb up with her. Aliens, because he won't, the alien will not attack Ripley. It's cl- It's like dialed in on Dylan. So yeah. anytime he goes up, the alien goes up. He's like, well, fuck. It's not going to work unless I stay down here. Right. And then <laughs> he's like, pour the lead. I'm going to fuck you. <laughs> To the alien, I think. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I rewinded a couple of times. He's not saying yeah. that to Ripley. He's saying, I'm going to fuck you to the alien. Yeah. I mean, he has a great final fight with the alien. He survives for a long time. Yeah, he does. You know? um, does a lot of good cursing and <laughs> insults Morse, the alien's prowess as a murderer. <laughs> Morse drops the lead, covers the alien. They celebrate for a moment, but then the alien bursts through the lead, covered in molten lead. Uh, Ripley starts climbing up a ladder. The xenomorph's chasing her. She comes up with an idea. The xenomorph chasing her? Yeah, I guess it did. I didn't really think much about it. It bothered me where I was like, wait, what? Now it's just mad enough that it's going to chase her? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I was going to keep you alive, but now that you cover me in lead. Now I'm covered in lead. (laughs) Um, Ripley comes up with a plan. She gets to these sprinklers, activates them. The water cools the lead. The xenomorph explodes. And this is the only CGI shot is the cracking going all over the dome. head. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was a good mo- metaphor for the movie, which is generally pretty leaden. Um, <laughs> the rescue team is there. They meet Ripley up on a catwalk and... Who steps out? It's Bishop. Only this is not the android Bishop. This is the guy who made the androids. Mm, his name is Michael Bishop. Michael Bishop. Lance Hendrickson uh, portraying him. <laughs> I met Hendrickson. Sorry. What yeah. did I say? You, Hand- you, say you, met, you met or meant? No, I met somebody else with the same exact name. Lance Hendrickson? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's a cool name. That yeah. is a cool name. I was... I was just going to say the way that you can tell the difference between human Michael Bishop and the android Bishop is that for some reason, Michael Bishop is a huge overactor. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, very like weird. Evil. It's, <laughs> he's Almost super m- evil. He's very loud and shouts all. I mean, obviously, it's like a loud metal foundry, but all of his line deliveries are like, Ripley! Yo! Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like extending his arms and like dramatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, we have a surgical base set up right outside of the ship. They're like, take it out. It'll take it out of you. It's very yeah. quick, painless. This whole sequence easily twice as long in the, in the extended version, like the conversation with Ripley, the stuff with the surgeon, all of this back and forth goes on way longer. Ripley backs up to the ledge, closes the gate, separating 
her from Bishop and everybody. Um, and then Aaron comes up behind Bishop, hits him in the back of the head with a pipe that fucking like rips his ear out. It's really gross yeah. looking. He does bleed all over, settling the debate as to whether or not he was actually human. Yeah, you see his um, red human blood. Uh, the company wastes Aaron, shoots him up. Bishop's trying to convince Ripley not to kill herself. Morris gets the catwalk into position over the molten lead. Extends her, She extends her arms out like Jesus Christ on that cross <laughs> and falls backwards into the lava. Looks really stupid. Both CGI <laughs> molten lava. It's not looks CGI. Fucking dumb. Again, it's, it's not screen. CGI. No. Whatever it is, looks very bad. <laughs> and so I remembered, I was like, well, maybe I remember this incorrectly. Mm. But in the assembly cut, that is when an alien chest burster. No, the theatrical cut. That's what happens. That's what I meant. Um, yeah, the theatrical cut. A chest burster burster comes out of her chest she grabs it by like the tail the queen yeah yeah and then falls back into the molten lead with it Mm -hmm. yeah so the rescue team loads morris up and then we hear the e in the ev ripley's final transmission from the end of part one no particular reason why that would be playing nope (laughs) no reason just tugging on your heartstrings yeah Mm -hmm. and then a message that the planet will be sold as scrapped scrap that's the end all right okay as far as body count goes very high for this series yeah we got newt mm-hmm. hicks murphy in the tunnel by fan two prisoners in the tunnel by the xenomorph clemens andrews uh the guy on the ladder who starts the explosion a guy lost in the explosion several people in the explosion i didn't know them yeah. all Dude who sacrifices himself uh, to trap the alien, the guard to Golic, Golic himself, Vincent, who I didn't name in my just in my recap, but he's there. Another dude, <laughs> another guy, David, <laughs> some dudes, a bald dudes, Englishman, <laughs> the dude who Dylan tries to save, and a dude who gets it, <laughs> <laughs> Dylan himself, and then uh, Aaron. And I think that's it. Oh, Ripley. I didn't include Ripley. Yeah, well, Ripley comes Ripley. back. We know this. Yeah. But, okay. So, what would you say, Mike Price, is your favorite death in Alien 3? Uh, man, I don't know. I mean, I'll say this. There's more violence here than there was in the in the second one. So For sure. Nice to see an uptick there. Um, you know, the one that I enjoy the most, I think, is probably the fan guy. Honestly, I like like it's a yeah. fun little sequence. I yeah, I agree. That is my favorite as well. But Are I will you say you pick the for these for the sake well for the sake of just having mm-hmm. different picks. Uh, I'm going to go with Clemens because it is an actual surprise when he yeah. when he goes and there you know there's a cool like mouth to the back of the head classic yeah, shot xenomorph. Well. He kind of picks him up and wraps him in that like. Uh, it's not cloth. It's like the plastic drop cloth almost that like separates the beds. Yeah. Um, so it's all, it's all very dramatic. Yeah. I like that one too. All right. Um, this movie is what now? I always try to do the almost math. 30 years old. Almost 30 29. years old. Holy shit. That's crazy. <laughs> we say <laughs> this every terrible? fucking time. Every goddamn time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean um, it's wrong. 
So for our moment that age, the worst, um, I'll go first. I don't know that there's anything specific. Like there's nothing offensive really in this mm. movie other than like, you know, the rape stuff, but that's just kind of right. pretty integral to the plot. I would say, mm. <clears throat> um, I think for me, maybe it is those special effects that I pointed out. Um, yeah. don't age very well. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that com obviously like we've discussed at ad nauseum, not CGI, Blue screen, right? Compositing. They're different plates put together, but the bottom line is they still don't look good. Nope, they don't. Especially uh, coming off of one and two, which have great special effects. This movie is, mm-hmm. you know, almost 20 years after the first one. Now, nah, I mean, I'm yeah. 20, like 15 years yeah. or so, but whatever. And I'll say something. There's something doubly ironic about these effects is one... Uh, you know, Fincher over the course of his career became a guy who was famous for his, his, his solid use of CGI in mm-hmm. places where people wouldn't expect. He uses a lot of CGI. Like for instance, you talked about palm trees for, for a particular set, right? Did we talk about that on the pot or off the air? I think it was on the pod. Yeah. Okay. Well, either way, you know, he'll use CGI for things like that. He changes the whole San Francisco skyline. Um, you to accurately reflect what it looked like in the sixties in Zodiac, right? This is the sort of thing he does. I know it drives uh listener of the pod, Mitch crazy. Sorry, Mitch Fincher rules. You, you're <laughs> wrong. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, for somebody who is famous for his judicious use of CGI in, in most people's eyes. And on top of that, his position with industrial light and magic was as a matte photographer uh, he literally his specialty, um, at, at one point in time was making effects like this work basically. Wow. But I think that goes to show you what a fucking mess of a production this was, because yeah. I guarantee you, if he had had the money and the time that he would have wanted to spend on getting those effects, right, they would have looked a lot different. All right. Uh, we here at Killstreak like to rate how scary these movies are by comparing them to the oeuvre. God. Fucking damn it. What? What's wrong? Nothing. I just, I'm not, I don't know what to do on the Craven scale. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. Okay. Thank God. I thought you were just like mad at something I did. We like no, to rate them against no. the film, uh, filmography of directors. And we have Wes Craven now is proving to be incredibly difficult to do Wes Craven. <laughs> we, we fucked up. All right. We, we fucked, fucked up. up. We, we did. We did. Uh, <laughs> I just rewatched Hills of Eyes too. Still don't like it. Um, and, and I'm doing this no? because okay. of the, the Craven scale. I've watched Deadly Friend and rewatched Hills of Eyes. I wanted to give that a good reevaluation. Man, I don't know. <laughs> this is tough. Um, <sighs> you want know, to just do Scream 3? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's do Scream 3. All right, there we go. It's, it's a scream for you guys. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a really depressing movie, right? That's, I mean, we're about to get into that. So maybe, I don't know. Is there a better pick on that? I, that I you regard? know, for some, for some reason, um, the people under the stairs came to mind. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I think it, it's similarly kind of depressing, but I think that movie is actually scarier. So I don't know. Although, you know what? I, I think you're onto something because that movie also, Heavily revolves around a plot element of people running around in vents. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. So I like that. People under the stairs. All this right. movie's kind of scary. Especially yeah, yeah, if you're, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. If I wouldn't say one of my criticisms of this movie is that, oh, it should be scarier. Right. I think it's scarier than part two. Um, I, I disagree, but we disagreed on part two anyways. So. Yeah. In that, in, in terms of the, of the scale, at least. All right. There you go. Uh, it is a people under the stairs. And then finally here, we like to uh, say, is this a Mary? Is this a fuck? Or is this a kill? Our really immature rubric on how we grade these movies. Um, I know for myself, uh, hmm, I think this movie is sort of the very definition of a fuck, which mm. is I, I'm not. This isn't one that I'm going to come back to often, but I definitely do want to watch this again. I might even watch yeah. the rest of the of the theatrical cut tonight mm-hmm. because I, like we said earlier in the episode there's enough going on to make this interesting but it's not always enjoyable yeah uh i think that's yeah I, I agree with you i think yeah i think if the 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 two um strongest criticisms i could levy at this movie are one what you just said it's not enjoyable almost in any way yeah um <laughs> Like it's very depressing. It's very dark. It's very dour. Um, and I think that it's a choice. And for that, I respect it. Right. Um, to reflect a little bit on the difference between the theatrical cut and the extended version, you know, I know that this is the version that has gotten people to reevaluate the quality of this movie a little bit. And I think it makes it a little bit of a higher quality film in terms of what it has to say and and how it weaves together i also think it makes it too long and it's Mm. a it's already kind of a punishing experience so to make a movie like that longer is a dicey proposition yeah um so i don't even know that i could necessarily recommend the extended version over the theatrical version in my mind they're about even okay um both of them, though, I think, like, you know, you look at all of the stuff that we've covered over the history of the podcast, and like, these, this is a better movie than many. Yeah, for sure. Seen, yeah. Right? Uh, it is a failure, but it is a failure to follow up to two of the best, you know, horror movies, sci-fi movies, action movies ever made, right? There, there really is probably not another horror series we'll cover, Mm-hmm. that can top the one-two punch of of the Alien franchise. It's just about as good as it gets. And right? I, yeah, I mean, I think it is literally as good as that series gets. Mm-hmm. From this point so forward, I'm, it's all lesser than. Yeah, yeah. So for that reason, it's like, yes, it definitely comes up short, you know, of its predecessors. But is it a terrible movie? No. Is it a bad movie? I don't even think it's a bad movie. I think it is a slightly above average movie that could have been better for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that it is a such a weird introduction to the filmography of David Fincher. Makes me really glad that he didn't quit after this. It would make total sense if he never went back to directing feature films again after an experience like this one. Thank, thankfully, he persevered and, uh, you know, and he became one of the, the great, you know, filmmakers of his generation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um some good acting performances, some really interesting artistic choices. The studio really fucked this movie up. Um, it's definitely a fuck. 
right? It's not a Mary. I wouldn't yeah. recommend people. This, this isn't a movie I love, and it's not a movie I think everybody needs to see. But, like, you don't need to be an alien completist to want to see this. It's like, you really should just watch this. Like, everyone, you know, if you liked Alien and Aliens, then, yeah, check this movie out. You're not going to like it as much. But it's interesting, and, you know, it doesn't suck, basically. Uh, yeah, that's how I feel. Well said. Well, we'll leave you guys with that as we take a break and then we'll come back for our final segment. Okay, we're back. We have a brand new segment we're going to unveil here. This is Killstreaks Hall of Shame. Mike, why don't you tell our fine listeners what we're about to do? Yeah, uh, happily, Eric. Thank you for that introduction. Um, so the Killstreak Hall of Shame The idea here is that uh, we wanted to highlight, as we often do in these end segments, uh, some other movies uh, that uh, have failed to meet the the bar of expectations in any variety of ways. And, you know, my hope is that over time we can sort of curate a hall of shame akin to what you might find in a Cooperstown baseball hall of fame <laughs> but only for uh movies uh often horror but not always not exclusively uh mm-hmm. that have just failed that have failed us and their audiences and the world at large um and in honor of alien 3 which neither of us has noted up to this point in the podcast but mm-hmm. eric what is the technical title of alien 3 <laughs> It is alien to the third power. Yes. Uh, in other circles, sometimes referred to as alien cubed. Um, yeah, alien cubed. Yeah, that would but work. But yeah, either way, it's uh, it's the three is in the exponent form, um, which is uh, so 1992. Um, yes. Charmingly so, but also very silly. Um, so in honor of that bold stylistic choice, we thought we would do uh, a hall of shame for what we're referring to as movie title gore to steal a term from Reddit, which is basically Mm -hmm. other titles that are similarly too stylish for their own good, overly complicated, just plain stupid. Um, And, and what we're going to do here is we're just going to throw out some nominations. All Eric and I can do is nominate these films. And it is up to you folks at home and the kill streak audience to decide which ones get inducted into the hall of shame. We'll put up a Twitter poll and we can all vote on what we think is belongs in the title gore hall of shame. Yeah. The kill streak hall of shame for title gore. Uh, uh, Eric, start us off. I did a lot of talking. I'm going to start us off with one that I really want to get out. Okay. So you don't steal it from me. And by the way, the rules here doesn't have to be a horror movie. Uh, we're just, right. We're just focusing on uh, bad, bad, bad titles. Uh, this one is a horror movie. Okay. It is the fifth entry in the Final Destination series. <laughs> it is stylized as Final Destination. <laughs> Five NAL. It looks like Anal Destination. <laughs> it truly does. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. I'm trying to just get a, a different audience in the seats. Um, <laughs> oh, man. In- <laughs> like some kind of raincoat. <laughs> Fred Willard, may he rest in peace. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, good guy. Five and old destination. Uh, Five and old destination. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Okay. So we're going to throw that one up uh, for the nominees. Um, my first, uh, 
uh, is going to be a movie that I truly love, uh, or at least come up just short of loving. It's a movie that I enjoy quite a bit that uh, really struggled with titles um, over the course of its life cycle. And I will say that its initial title and its, and its first theatrical release was just blah. It just was vanilla. Um, mm. And that movie is, in my opinion, the much underrated Doug Lyman's Edge of Tomorrow starring mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. It's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. Very enjoyable. It's based on a manga, which was titled, titled Live, Die, Repeat. And initially, that was supposed to be the name of the movie. But then, uh, go figure, the studios were like, no, we need to name it something more generic than that. So they settled <laughs> on Edge of Tomorrow. Well, then, the movie did kind of shitty in the box office. And there's a number of people who think it's partly because that is such a generic title that doesn't tell anyone anything about the movie. Whereas Live, Die, Repeat is very evocative of what happens in the course of the movie and just sounds more interesting anyways. So they, I guess, tried to go back in time somehow and and fix the mistakes that they've made. So upon home release on DVD, Blu-ray, and streaming, the movie is now titled Not Live, Die, Repeat, which would have made some sense. But instead, it is written officially as Live, Die, Repeat, period, Edge of Tomorrow, period. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Um, So that is my first nomination for uh, The Hall of Shame. Do you want to keep it going, Eric? Yeah. uh, One honorable mention Mm -hmm. would be, but it doesn't qualify because it's not actually the title now. Uh We wanted to call another Yeti a love story, Life on the Streets. (laughs) We wanted it to be uh, Yeti, colon, a love story mm-hmm. colon life on the streets with a du- rare double colon. Right. But, uh, the, uh, distributor didn't want that. So, all right. For my second one, this is a movie I'm, I'm sure nobody has seen, but it <laughs> popped up in my search of this phenomenon. It's a riffing on uh, a more famous franchise, but this one really just does not work <laughs> okay. whatsoever. It is a, um, sequel to what I think a movie called lava tarantula. <laughs> And it's two lava, two lantula <laughs> with the numbers two, you know, two, two lava, two lantula. Two yeah. lantula or two rantula? Yeah. No, two lantula. What the fuck? <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make sense in any way. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, yeah. And obviously uh, a nod there to, uh, I want to say too fast, too furious has got to be the movie. Too fast, too furious. Yeah. Right. That kicked this all off. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I think, I think that's, well, you know, it almost succeeds in making me want to, I just want to know more about that dumb movie. Me too. Uh, me too. It's a sci-fi original. So that may, that might uh, okay dissuade you. Well, that tells us something. Um, my next one is simple. It's subtle. But boy, oh boy, do I fucking hate it. Uh, and that is the Vin Diesel vehicle Triple X, which um, yeah. is not the worst title for a movie. It's, uh, you know, it's a little misleading because Triple X usually, you know, at least at that point in time, just meant hardcore pornography. Um <laughs> Obviously not what this movie was about, but the thing that really drives me up the wall about Triple X is that it is stylized as lowercase x, capital X, 
lowercase x. And that is the correct <laughs> way to write the title to triple X. To which I say, yeah. fuck you, triple X. Um, and <laughs> that is my next nomination for the Hall of Shame. Uh, so just quickly on two lava two lanchula uh-huh. star steve gutenberg the goot michael winslow marion ramsey also from police academy what? she plays the uh, squeaky voiced uh sure, i can't remember sure. officer I name remember. uh the guy who plays i think donkey lips <laughs> so is this movie in the universe of uh police academy police academy i think there there is an argument that could be made okay okay for my, for my next selection um this one is almost successful, but it's painful to look okay. at. Uh, it is the third sequel, I believe. Well, it's the second. It's the sequel to. There's also a prequel mm-hmm. uh, of Dumb and Dumber. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm referring to Dumb and Dumber Two, <laughs> To, so which Dumb just and Dumber To. It just hurts your brain to look <laughs> at as a, like a sort of a grammar nerd, at least in written form. Not so much when I speak. Yeah. As you guys now, fifty-five episodes have proof that I don't know how to fucking talk, <laughs> but it's painful to look at. Yeah, um, uh, I think that's a great. I think that's a great pick. Um, I have an honorable mention, which I don't know that it really qualifies, but I just want to call it out for having a stupid title, and that is uh, the Josh Hartnett star Lucky Number Slevin. Uh, yeah, yeah, I almost picked that one too. Yeah, which. What the fuck? I'm not going to watch your dumb movie to find out what the fuck that means. Um, <laughs> like, you made me too mad to begin with, and now you'll never get my view. Uh, Hartnett. Also, Josh Hartnett, not really very good. No, yeah. no, no. no. Um, but my real pick, and uh, I would say this is probably the final one for me, um, is is one that I just, every time I see its name, I... I I don't I don't know. It's you know it's not even the worst of all of these. It's just for some some reason it truly drives me insane. Uh and that is the movie fear.com which mm. presumably to avoid just completely making an absolute mess out of Google searches for the movie fear.com has to be spelled phonetically. So instead of being fear.com like any URL would naturally be, it is spelled out fear space dot as in dot space com mm-hmm. and to be clear it's all lowercase so that's lowercase fear dot com which just rolls right off the tongue and makes it easy for the kids to talk about around i don't know whatever the high school version of a water cooler is um but yeah never seen it never will because you fucked up your title sorry yeah um Oh man, you know I'm sort of looking at other lists here to see if I can. Okay, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. All right, I just want to shout out a couple okay. of these. It's <laughs> really funny. It's just S's. Is it a, just is S's. It a snake movie? Yeah, it's a snake movie. Okay. Um. All right, I'm gonna go with my final, my final one. Uh, which is one that's been stuck in my head ever since I heard uh-huh. it. This is a, this is a. I, I just changed this pick too, by the way. Um. It is. <laughs> Precious, colon, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. (laughs) So I've seen Precious. I actually really like the movie Uh Precious. I think it's a good movie. That is a fucking unwieldy title that (laughs) it's just like, it seems like it would be the, uh, 
you know, when at the Academy Awards, yeah. when they're nominated, when they're like announcing the nominees for like best adapted screenplay, that's when you say that whole thing. Right. You give that <laughs> subtitle as an expl- explanation of what the movie is. Yeah. Well, but man, what a what a title! What a mouthful. The funniest thing about the title is within the title, it's it's almost like it's trying to get you to give you better options. It's like. You could. Yeah. There are two other things you could call this movie. You could just call it Precious, or you could call it Push. You know, Push. Yeah, exactly. Whatever you want to do, but maybe not this whole thing. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. So, what we're gonna do now? I'll post on Twitter, um, which is at Killstreak Pod, uh, and I'll put some polls here. Uh, I don't know if I'll do it in like a Google a Google thing yet or like a Google uh, survey that might be the easiest way to do it since there's multiple options Mm. and just click on the link vote for the winner and we'll do the top three we'll enter our killstreak hall of shame yeah we'll have an official induction ceremony uh, yeah, when should we uh, when should we conclude it? Uh, I guess next episode. Yeah, I'd say or let's one just after. Uh, let's give people. We will give people till two weeks. You know why not? Yeah. yeah, okay. I don't know. I know not everybody listens the day the podcast drops. So that's we'll true. Yeah, time. yeah. So we'll, we'll give people some time. Uh, but in the meantime, you can follow us at Killstreak Pod at Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and you can also uh, leave us a voicemail. Yeah. We always love voicemails. We'll play There's it. There's a link in the show notes. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Link in the show notes. Um, rate and review us on iTunes. That would be very helpful mm-hmm. to us. Share this podcast with people who you think might like it. Yeah. Am I missing anything? Uh, oh, we'll be talking about Alien Resurrection next time. Yes, we will. As as has been the case throughout this series, it is available now on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're watching. I don't think there's. Is there a director's cut? <laughs> Can we finally just settle on one single version of uh, of the movie? I think we might be able to. Yeah. Well, since this will be my first time seeing Alien Resurrection, I am definitely just going to go with the vanilla. Very excited. Whatever, whatever that is. Uh, Very excited. Yeah, I'm excited to see this one. Yeah. I, I I think maybe I've seen parts of it on like HBO or something. Mm-hmm. But I've certainly have never watched it all the way through. I have, like all of these movies, seen it a couple times, but I will say the fewest of all of them. And uh, I was just doing a little clicking around. Turns out uh, there is a special edition of Alien Resurrection from the Alien oh, no. Quadrilogy box set. Its creation was overseen by director Jean-Pierre Genet. However, it expands the runtime by around seven minutes. Um, What's the runtime on that baby? The runtime on this one is let's see the original. Um, but but it's not right in front of me, sadly. Um, mm. One oh nine. So okay, that's I can still do that. under two hours even for the special edition. So I'll watch that one because I've seen the original at least twice. Um, you do not have to. I think you should just go ahead and watch that. No, I think I probably will just because <laughs> if it's the one overseen by the director, uh-huh. it might be closer to what they intended. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's just say I will watch the extended cut and um, you guys can do whatever you want. I'm sure we'll look up some article. We'll, we'll point out the differences. All right. Cool. And as always, you've been in my life so long, I can't remember anything else. <laughs>